Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattleigian Broadcasting Premier Podcast. Damn you, Hollywood. And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! <clears throat> Hello, <clears throat> all of you wonderful people out there. I'm Robert. That's Mark. How you doing, Mark? Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Rattelich. <laughs> so I got to ask you before we jump into this tonight, you know, I listened back to the first uh, two part Long Road to Ruin scream that we did, and you certainly had a lot to say on it. We all we, we had a raucous debate, especially about three and four, it seemed like um, we were all pretty much in agreement on one and two. And I think three and four, there were some diverging opinions. But where does scream rank? in like your top five if even there horror franchises franchises where would i put it um it's top 10. Mm -hmm. uh, i don't think without with too much difficulty it's top 10. um top five top five so in no particular order mm -hmm. hellraiser nightmare on elm street friday the 13th Evil Dead. Halloween. It's around five. It's, it's probably around the number five, somewhere between like seven and four, depending on how I'm feeling on the day. And if I were to really kind of hash out, you know, my specific list. So mm. it, top 10, bordering on top five, probably. I believe with four, thinking back on that discussion, <clears throat> I said there was a real missed opportunity to leave the franchise in the hands of a new final girl to carry on the legacy. I mean, there's no reason why they can't keep doing things. The The pattern is, what you know, what, once Billy decided to take revenge on Sydney for her mother breaking up his family, at that point, it's a domino effect because then after that, it was Billy's mother. And then after that, da 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 da, -da. Um, And so as the, as the tagline for this movie says, it's always someone you know, um, they, they could have gone on ad infinitum. Um, and I think... The funny thing about the horror genre is it's you, you kill enough people creatively enough and you create at least, at least a sufficient amount of mystery. You have you'll have a successful movie because it's not like these things generally well, carry high budgets. Here's here's the real problem that I think this franchise runs into here. And <laughs> we touched on this when we talked about three and four, four more mm -hmm. so than three in this respect. The real problem when you try to get a horror franchise up and running mm -hmm. is not your killer. You know, a creative killer in the slashers, I mean, whether you want to, how you want to classify certain franchises, whether or not they fall into slasher genres or not, it's not terribly difficult to get a, a memorable and an interesting uh, villainous character. It's, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing in the world, but... Mm -hmm. You know, look at the number of them that exist and then tell me that it's not it's not getting blood from a stone. Right. Here's the the hard part, the real hard part. You need heroes that are that you, that your audience can root for. Sure. This is this is the hardest thing about any kind of horror movie to somewhat depending on what you're trying to do with it. Like uh 
the take, two, take, hang if on, they're take, too smart, you don't have a movie. If they're too dumb, you don't want to root for them. You can't wait for them to die. I get it. If they're too flatly written, then you mm-hmm. just want them to die. Right. If like, there's all kinds of writing pitfalls. And I, 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 I want to quick bring this up, but I don't want to go off on a tangent. But I remember, you know, between your um, everyone loves a bad guy on Freddy. And then I think it came up again with your Nightmare on Elm Street discussion. But I haven't listened to those. Well, back those are the yet. same. They were they were two different podcasts. Did I? Yeah, you I know did. I, did, I know I did one on Freddy. Um, you did uh, on one of my hiatuses. You and Sean did a two. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, mean the, you mean the long road to ruin one? We yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and the and, you know, and Sean's point, and you echoed it was, you don't want to make the horror monster sympathetic the way they did with the reincarnation of Freddy in the in the remake. Um, it takes all the bite out of him. So, um, you know, you make your monster utterly unsympathetic. And then as you're saying, you have to have your heroes as people you want to root for. And I think all, I think too many times just to get the body count up, you end up creating a cast of characters that nobody would root for. And the point that I'm getting to is everyone starts rooting for the monster. You know, I mean that believe it or not, I, that's, a, that's one of the problems I had with this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, we can talk in more detail in a minute or two, but sure. yeah, that's, that's a real problem. There's a reason that, you know, there's a Mount Rushmore of final girls. Mm-hmm. You know, there, and there's a there's a reason that uh you know heather langenkamp uh jamie lee curtis. nancy jamie so heather langenkamp jamie lee curtis and ashley lawrence and i in fairness to the art to this movie and to uh, you know, the, the scream franchise in general you know, those are kind of the holy trinity i think your solid number four is sydney prescott no sydney sydney was never dumb and yeah. Sydney and I and I remember thinking about this with the first scream. Sydney was the the nice thing about Sydney and Ghostface was Ghostface was a little on the supernatural side, but they but they wrote that away as there was two of them, and that's how they got away with yeah. it. But Ghostface could be hurt, you know. Ghostface could nearly be demasked, and I mean, Sid, the, and, and the, Sydney could defend herself as best she could. The the joke with Ghostface, and I'm glad they brought this back for this movie, mm-hmm. is this is one of the gripes I had with um, I think it was three. Mm-hmm. Where they took away a few of the things that make Ghostface Ghostface. Yeah. Um, he stopped being a hunter and a taunter in three. Like that's one of the nice things about four. I think that they brought back, you know, the phone calls, the way he taunts people as he's right. butchering them, like which is an important part of that character. Whoever is under the mask, like this is one of the things that makes Ghostface Ghostface. The other thing is whenever he gets into a physical altercation. That son of a gun bumps like Shawn Michaels for Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam. <laughs> he certainly does. Um, like he watch the first scream again for any of you who might. Oh, not. I love it because like he gets hit. And you actually hear him he going. Does Oof. Front, he does front flips. <laughs> yeah, like he, he takes bumps. It's great. Yeah, you hear, you hear him like audibly gasping. You know, he there's one point where he like hit with the door and he, as you say, he bumps and yeah, he and he you can hear him going off oh, ow ugh. Uh, yeah, here's like, what I here's what I wanted to bring up before we lose sight of this. This is why I started off this way. By the way, we're talking Scream 2022 in case that wasn't apparently scream, obvious. It, for the record, it's Scream 5. Everyone can shut up. Like, this is okay. not that complicated. It's Scream 5. The thing about Scream that makes it Scream and not April Fool's Day or Halloween or any number of typical slasher movies is that it is a commentary on the... The Collector. <laughs> I can go on. I know what you did last summer. Um, is that it's a commentary on the horror genre. One of the characters in this movie 
appropriately nails what a scream movie is because they're talking about the uh the in-universe mm-hmm. equivalent the stab franchise and right. what is a stab movie a stab movie is a slasher meta whodunit right that's what it is and, and that's why i was saying like in the right hands with the right amount of love and care the scream franchise could have gone on forever um so all the way back to where i wanted to start with this with you is you know what did you when you heard we were going to do scream and you heard there was a new scream coming out you know what did you think you know because here's the thing normally with these sequels you and i more or less land in the same place which is the story is told there was no reason to go back to this well uh, but the screen but but i think scream exists in one of the few franchises where you can do them forever you just you know just have to not be dumb about it but considering I like Scream as sort of a generational look at where where horror is now, which makes mm-hmm. it the kind of thing that you can do in a, an infinite amount of sequels on. Yeah, I again, I think with the Scream franchise in particular, they're they're trying to find someone other than Nev Campbell who can kind of shoulder the weight of this franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I was going with this is that they they just needed to do away with Nev, Courtney Cox, and and um, former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette. Well, one out of three in this movie ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's my point. Though, and we'll is... tell you which one it was uh, once we get to the review. Um, we are we are not waiting, but are waiting for Ronnie Adams. Ronnie is running a little bit late. He got the times mixed up because people can't read English. So, um, uh, so we're not necessarily stalling. I wanted to have this conversation anyway, yeah. but he'll be joining us momentarily. Anyway, um, I what I. This is the more of the point that I was trying to get to. Uh, with four, I said they wasted an opportunity to turn this over to somebody else for a couple of movies, age them out, turn it out, you know, start, start again with somebody new. Like, you never necessarily have to freshly reboot the franchise like you did with A Nightmare on Elm Street. You could just have new people being attacked and have them carry it for a few sequels, and then they age out and move on to something else, and we get a new person in there. Yeah, I... My biggest, uh, this comes around to the Nightmare on Elm Street discussion. Um, Ron, I got caught. Ronnie, Ronnie got me. <laughs> Hi, Ronnie. <laughs> Love you, Ronnie. Can't wait for you to join us. <laughs> we are anxiously awaiting your arrival. Uh, when it comes to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I think the big mistake that they made with their attempted reboot um, was that it was a reboot. Like, I, I get that. Freddy's Dead was a a terrible movie. Cause Freddy's Dead, that's what I said. B, they, del- they deliberately. Ki- I, I mean, Wes Craven came back and thankfully did uh, a Freddy story correct with Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I, I think the mistake they made was in that they tried to start over. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't just have another Nightmare on Elm Street story. We've got the origin of Freddy all over again. We've got a new version of Nancy who is, looks like she's on Valium. <laughs> I, I have still not forgiven that actress for that performance. Okay. Uh, and I don't think I ever will. I've, ne- I've never seen the remake. I, 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 feel like I, kn- I feel like much like Reservoir Dogs, I know every detail of that movie without having actually seen it. Uh, the remake, there's some good stuff about the remake. And that's what kills me about it. And I, I don't want to go off on this tangent too long. Mm-hmm. But... When that movie gets it right, it's great. It's just mm-hmm. you could it does it like twice in its whole <laughs> runtime, and the rest of it's somehow just like bad reshoot. Like one 
bits of it are almost shot for shot remakes and you just kind of go why like mm-hmm. just why that this doesn't and you did it worse you're talking like, about I, the face through the wall thing that uh, one that yes like god your cgi and that was so bad <laughs> but you, jackie uh, i mean poor jackie earl haley that that man gave it his level best and he was absolutely the right guy for that role it's just badly written yeah. but how do you have that goofy looking cgi then you look at what they did with the original which was just spandex that was painted and whatnot to look like the wall and then they had i think they actually had uh robert england push his face against it <laughs> it it does i think speak uh, to the, what was the other just one sentence on this yeah it does speak to the loss of art craft in movie making yeah. that everything got replaced with computers and the you know and it's kind of like cursive writing when we don't you know when you, you don't need it anymore so no, so we don't teach it and now you have an entire generation of people who don't know how to read it or do it yeah. and you know when it comes to practical effects i mean that used to be a real art form and you had to be a very talented knowledgeable person to know how to pull things off i mean you think about like a lot a lot of um behind the scenes uh documentaries about you know various films of the 80s and 90s and they talk about how they pulled off a practical effect these are wizards harry and now you can do everything with computers and those people are gone and and when you want to do something practical i don't think anyone knows how to do it yeah there's a there's a non-trivial chance that that's true like that is an art form that is sadly uh, underappreciated these days i mean um if you want another example and some of this is budgetary cgi becoming as has become more has become less expensive especially crappy cgi it's just cheaper to make crappy cgi than it is to do anything practically like if you look at the first tremors movie when every one of the monsters is practical Mm -hmm. uh then you look at some of the later entries into the franchise when everything's CGI and you just want to put your head through a wall. You know, it's awful. And uh, so to kind of circle this back to the point I was making, I think I think they could have done fine with a, just a fresh Nightmare move Nightmare on Elm Street movie. We didn't need a remake of the original. Some stuff should just be left alone in that respect. If you wanted to do another Godfather movie, mm. you wouldn't try to remake the original. Well, they would, but they do it badly. You know, you know what I okay, you know what I mean. Yes. Like no sane person goes, "Hey, <laughs> let's tell the story of Michael Corleone's ascent to power and his relationship with his father on the streets of New York in the 19 uh in the immediate aftermath of World War II." Like we'll do the period piece about that and it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who we're going to cast to replace any of these iconic, like, n- no sane person does this. Of course, people right. in Hollywood do, because some of them, most no, they, of them they are believe, idiots. Look, they believe and are somewhat validated in their belief that nobody wants anything new, that all they want is the stuff that makes them comfortable and secure and, you know, I I have not, I have not yet figured out who's more to blame for this. And, and, and I, uh, I, no, I, I hang, on, hang on, I phrase it that way. For a very specific reason, mm-hmm. like you're always going to have fans who, I, I mean, what was a critical drink, critical drinker. Uh, God bless that man. He put it this way. Nostalgia is the currency of entertainment these days. Yep. And I think he's correct. And he, here's my point about why I say I'm not sure who to blame more. 
sure you're going to have fans. That's always the case. And they're always going to be the way they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had, you know, millions of people up in arms over David Lynch's essentially unintelligible adaptation of Dune because people like Dune. Right. What, but the reason I think that you also have to blame Hollywood for this, and again, who has more to, who carries the lion's share of the blame here is unclear to me, but these bunch of idiots decided to, uh, decided to overly commoditize this to an irre- to an irresponsible degree. Okay, here's the only thing I'm going to say about this, and then we are absolutely moving on now that Ronnie has gained to join us. Ladies and gentlemen, the misfit and miscreant himself, the Dungeon Master from the Screaming Boy podcast, Ronnie Apparently Adams. I can't read English. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were only the 20th person to ask me a question that I'd already given an answer to. It's fine. Okay, at what point in time do you actually expect me to read every bit of that that chat? <laughs> I barely check it. That's a, that is a lengthy chat box. That's true. I just realized I'm not. I'm I'm streaming, but I'm not streaming. What is currently? What is? Yeah, this is this has gone poorly, but now it's back. Ronnie, we're happy to have you here. Thank you. No, for you're not. Us. Don't tell me that. You're no, we are happy to listen. You. <laughs> You asked for this time and asked that I, I shut did. the door behind everybody else, and you got it. So I'm, I'm I hate happy them. to be with you. What? I understand. <laughs> so okay. speaking of Ronnie, hating, don't, don't steal my stick, man. Speaking of hating people, here's the thing, and this is why, and, and this is the last thing. Here's I'm Robert. No, I'm <laughs> and, he has introduced me that way in the past. <laughs> and then, you, and then go right into the plots and options since Ronnie is here. Um, but I, you know, look. Every the people making the, the decisions, and I've said this time and time again, but if it does bear repeating, the people making the decisions at studios are not creative people. They are business people. These are these are people or, with MBAs. Worse. Hang on, it's worse than that. Believe it or not. Okay. And the follow. Listen to any director who has worked in Hollywood, and they will tell you this. Mm-hmm. These studios are run by. At the very top, you get pure business. You tend to get more pure business people. Yeah, people I said with MBA. Hang on, hang on, hang on. But the the every executive producer, everyone mm-hmm. who like like the important kind of middle management spot, the one that filters everything up and down. These are business people who think they're creative, right? And yeah, that's the, where the trap is. Yeah, no these the, these are the people who would have would have loved to have been a writer director but don't have the talent for it hey we talked about one of those last week but they but they are great but they are great salespeople and they are people who can get things done and there's a talent in that like you know again i know i really don't want to go too far into this but kathleen kennedy did her best work working for lucasfilm when she was just an executive producer it's when she got to be the Kevin Feige of Lucasfilm that everything went tits up and where are where we are with Star Wars. When they asked her to oversee elements of the creative process and to kind yeah. of godfather that, like that's that's when things went out the window. <laughs> Kevin Feige. Yeah. Anyway, so the point the point of all this is, and then I'm gonna pitch it back to you. Um the people at the top just, you know, they just want to know what's gonna sell the most tickets. And when they're you know, and when you do something like a Ghostbusters afterlife that plays immediately to the fan base and nothing else creativity be damned um and they're rewarded as such 
when, and we'll talk about this with the money, when the most successful film of the last two years during a pandemic is Spider-Man No Way Home with rest almost entirely on nostalgia for the previous films with other actors in the role. Hang on. Can you blame them for making those decisions? Yeah, Robert, this is this one isn't on you. I'm I'm talking about Mark. Mark hates that movie. <laughs> I'm not I'm not overly fond of it. No, no I, and I get that. And I get Ghostbusters that. Afterlife. I don't hate it. <laughs> you hate both movies. You hate No Way Home and Afterlife. I was mostly complimentary of No Way Home. I got aggravated at the cheering. If you'll remember. I, well, I that's true. Did, yeah, you had a bad theater experience, which I wholly understand and sympathize with. I had issues with No Way Home, but you know it's it is what it is. Like it's not a perfect film by any reasonable stretch of the, the imagination. Question was, can you blame them for making the decisions yes. that they do? Absolutely I, not. Hang on, I absolutely can, because for a very specific reason, because they they created this feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. Like fans, and we're gonna. This is relevant to the plot. I promise, guys. <laughs> fans are fans have their own sets of problems and we've talked i mean god you mark you did one of these podcasts years ago specifically on abusive and toxic fandoms yeah that was the screaming boy podcast with ronnie adams that was me that and it's a great show like I thank you I, I think i was on that one i, I, I can't remember i, I think you might have been there was like 90 of us on that one yeah, so yeah that, that, that was a big yeah. one but uh the the point is, like, you're always going to have those fans. As soon as you, as a studio executive, uh, people in a position of authority, as soon as you start feeding that, like, you know, these are not stupid. I insult these people routinely for <laughs> bad creative decisions and occasional boneheaded scheduling issues. Ultimately, most of them are not stupid people. Like, I call out the specific ones that I think you're somebody's nephew. That's the only re- logical reason you're still here. Mm-hmm. But most of them, especially at the higher end, they're not stupid. So they deliberately created this ridiculous feedback loop that we're stuck in now until it explodes. And I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to happen. But boy, is it going to be ugly when it does. The subject of the feedback loop is a bigger discussion that we're not going to have now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Robert, you got like five minutes. The clock is ticking. Oh, it's not going to take me that long. Or less. And then, Ronnie, as soon as, he's, as soon as he says lobster, jump in, not only with what your thoughts are on this movie, but since you wanted this time and this is like your favorite franchise, spend a minute or two just sort of talking about that. Go, Robert. All right, so we're set basically in the contemporary time period, so 2021, 2022, something around that time period. And we open with a deliberate homage to the original screen opening where Ghostface calls some poor, helpless teenage girl and then proceeds to brutalize her with a knife. Uh, He does not... uh, This one is not killed, though. She manages to survive, and her somewhat estranged older sister and her quasi-loser boyfriend... Drive into drive into the town. They're in the town of Woodsboro. We're back in the same city. Uh, they uh, they are called in by Wes. Obvious reference is obvious. <laughs> Other obvious reference. Our protagonist is Samantha Carpenter. 
<laughs> I mean, come on. I could look if you want the laundry list of Easter eggs and references in this movie, it's the whole movie. There's so, a character named there's a character named King. There's a character <laughs> this goes off and on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There there's one character who tries to defend himself with a life-size replica of a clue token. <laughs> I, I had a good laugh at that. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, it, it's not just a candlestick; it's literally a giant version of the token in yeah. blue. Uh, there's there's a bunch. Of, like, if you're a if you're a horror fan, uh, there this thing is chock full of references for you, and it, it's kind of delightful in that respect. Uh, anyway, they drive back to kind of reconnect with uh, with the, this woman, Samantha, is our again our pseudo protagonist here. She comes back to reconnect with her sister and her sister's group of friends because there's always a group of friends and the killer is always one of them. Uh, they meet up with former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette, <laughs> who is doing what, ev- what I think every former WCW World Heavyweight Champion is doing these days. He's drunk off his ass in a trailer. <laughs> I, regre- I regret nothing. <laughs> No regrets about that line. <laughs> None. Uh, so they kind of consult him to try and figure out what's going on because he's an expert on the whole ghost face scenario. He gives them a few of the rules and accurately predicts one of the killers. Uh, and, and God bless him for it. Like, <laughs> I love that they gave him that credit near the end. Like, freaking Dewey, man. Got it in one. Uh, so the usual spate of violent murders... Phone calls, stalking, paranoia, all follows. We get the bit where we have our, our group of friends as they sit around and they deliver the meta commentary. In this case, it is a it is a commentary on the status of the soft reboot, which is what I'm calling it, not a requel. I don't know what dumbass on the internet came up with that <laughs> abomination of the Eagles language, but he should be flogged. But they should be flogged publicly, like this. No, that's Mongo punching a horse. You need a, <laughs> you need one that is someone being flogged. Um, oh, okay, I'll, work I'll, on I'll, that. I'll find. I'll, I'll see if I can find one for you. Don't worry Let about me... it. Oh wait, no, 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 not the kind you'd find. <laughs> no, not the kind that. I... No, sir, I wouldn't find that. <laughs> it's not already in your search history. I'm sure. He's actually... like going through his computer, like, uh, let me it go to not. my special file. Uh, I'm sure Mark has several. No, no, no. Or no, if not, no. or if not. Someone in his house does. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. And that that's kind of what they're talking about. And for those of you who are unaware, the soft reboot is allegedly a sequel, but it's uh, it, it's a, it's a new story bolstered with new characters bolstered by old ones. Though, so it is again allegedly a sequel in the same continuity, following the ongoing story, bolstered by supporting characters that you're familiar with at least one of whom will die, and you're supposed to glom onto the new characters. This has been done in every major attempted franchise going right now. Go See Ghostbusters, see Star Wars, see Jurassic World. Black Widow. See, uh, yeah. Phase four of the MCU is doing this. 100% <laughs> they are following this trend. Uh, that that's one of my that was one of my gripes about Black Widow. Um lesser matrix because they're the same characters doing the same thing that they've always done because creativity is dead. Uh, 
Uh, look, I love Keanu Reeves, but we're going to get a John Wick spinoff that's his daughter at some point, and it's going to be set up this way. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be done well. I'm saying this is what they're doing, and it's painfully oh, obvious. Get with it. Yes, get over there. We gotta take your hand off those controls. <laughs> and so that that's what this movie is making reference to and commenting on, among other things. So again, more of them died. There's a big house party. Our legacy characters show up. Dewey decides to try and help because he is a good person who does good things. He is violently murdered in a hospital for it. Uh, because he went back to try and confirm his kill rather than remembering to do it in real time, which well, it happens. <laughs> um Again, our legacy characters show up, specifically Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell. Uh, there's a big house party in the same house that our finale took place in in the original Scream. Uh, the house of Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. No, Jimmy yeah. Kennedy. No, nope. Stu Mocker. Uh, That's the right hey, in the movie. Hey, hey, calm down, calm down, calm down. <laughs> Goodness. No, they, they sadly didn't kill Jamie Kennedy until two, but I also just like watching Jamie Kennedy die. Okay, so that's anyway. right. Uh, anyway, so our big final confrontation occurs here. More people die. It's revealed that the killer is one of the member of the group of friends. Surprise, surprise. And uh, Samantha's boyfriend, Wee Huey, uh, take, finally taking cues from Carl Urban and the boys. Like, you know what? Murder is good. <laughs> Uh, they give their big ranting speech about the state of the relation. Their big issue is the relationship between IPs and fans and studios and how abusive it's become. And frankly, they're not wrong. Oh, yeah, <laughs> most the best part of the movie. <laughs> um, we get our big kind of final bit of cat and mouse, gunfights, knife fights. Uh, no other of our kind of legacy trio dies after we after the death of Dewey when he was violently gutted. Uh, Courtney uh, Cox gets a good stabbing, but no, she no. get no, no she gets shot. Nev Campbell gets shot. stabbed. Okay, either way, um, they, both, they are both. You yell at me. Yeah, look, they are both stabbed and or shot in the stomach with no adverse consequences. Of course, so is Samantha, who is stabbed. The knife is twisted so the wound won't close. That's why you do that, and then. The dumbest thing is at the end when all the paramedics are there and they've like wrapped a bandage around her midriff. Like, sure, you only had a three inch blade jammed into your guts, violently wiggled around. You're not like, no, hospital 20 minutes ago. Like, that's she's in more danger than her sister, who's been a pincushion up to this point. <laughs> Um, the, one of the big like pseudo plot points here is that Samantha is the son of Billy Loomis who was Skeet Ulrich from the first movie and again, one of the original Ghostface killers. Uh, so there's some bits with that that play into this. And, uh, anyway, ultimately, good guys win, bad guys lose. And we fade off with the same kind of shot that the original fades off with. A news report being delivered outside the house as paramedics are around and mopping up the carnage. The only real difference this time is Courtney Cox has vowed to not tell the story of these killers, let them die in obscurity as though the rest of the media coverage hasn't already done the job for you. You're the only person who could possibly capitalize on this. Good for you. <laughs> uh, and it, that, that's where it's left. It's open-ended, and I'm sure we'll be getting a sequel given how well this one's doing already. Take it away, Ronnie. 
Okay, Scream has been my favorite franchise since the first one came out because I told the story of me. I already told Mark the story of me. Sorry. I swallowed a gummy bear. Of me renting the first one. I didn't get to go to the theater to see it. I rented it. At, I was working at my uncle's grocery store. And it came out and I grabbed it, rented it, went home, watched it, sat in my room. It was in it and it started storming. It was, it was, it was perfect. It was storming. And uh, I was watching this movie, right? And uh, and then as soon as you know, thunder hit, I watched a whole um, uh, what's her head? She forgets things of 50 first dates. Um, Drew Barrymore, thank you. I've probably got her name. That was really I ironic. Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Drew Barrymore, I watched that whole murder scene, and then as it wrapped up, that the uh, thunder hit, phone rang, I screamed, fell off the bed. <laughs> um, it was amazing, and, uh, and the reason I liked it so much is because. It didn't rely on the supernatural. It, rely, it relied on the natural. It could actually, you know, as far-fetched as some of it may seem, it could actually happen. People go crazy all the time. Uh, and then two came out, and I was like, okay, this is a good one. Three came out, I was like, yeah, even with uh, Jane Silent Bob, that kind of ruined it for me. Uh, so that was the weakest one. Then we went all these years, and then we had 10, or uh, we had, uh, what, 10 years between three and four or more? Give or take. Yeah, and... Uh, the four came out with a solid punch and I liked it a lot. I thought it was great. Um, I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to see uh, Hayden uh, Panettiere. Panettiere's uh, character come back, uh, which they actually allude into uh, one of the YouTube videos that she did survive. Uh, that was one of those things where you, you have to, you blink and you miss it, but they talked to her character as a survivor of the, you know, these old murders. Um, in the newest movie. And then the requel comes out and I'm like, okay, so this is going to either suck out loud or it's going to be a, it's going to be a good, uh, I just wanted to see, uh, Robert like physically wince when I say requel. Yeah. I was watching uh, for that, <laughs> but, uh, I will not but, give you the satisfaction. <laughs> so this requel comes up my heart. <laughs> negative just vomits on screen. Negative stimulus and res- negative reinforcement response to stimulus is just as effective as at, as we re- at encouraging condi- uh, behavior as positive stimulus. Well and said. As, going, long as, it, as long as it's random, it's even more efficient. I have gummy bears. Um. So, are those or- did that say organic? Mm-hmm. They're really good. Yeah. Black Forest. Look him up. Um, Small company. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. I was uh, so I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, it's not to me. It's not the strongest in the entire thing, um, but it's up there. I enjoyed it. It was the pass. I saw it as the passing of the torch. Uh, unfortunately, Dewey did get his, and I think I almost ruined it for you guys because uh, I saw it before you and didn't realize you all hadn't seen it yet. And I mentioned something about Dewey getting gutted, and I was like, No, I'm just kidding. I was like, Man, <laughs> they're gonna freaking hate me. Um, I. Look, for the record, that conversation happened off air. When I asked you jokingly about that, I told you then, and I'm going to reinforce this. I, if I'm seeing a movie anyway, I don't care about spoilers. I, 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 I don't read the chat, I, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was great. There, You know, it's just as outlandish as the first one. There are some things that were like, oh, okay, come on. But that's the fun in it. You know, it, it's it's a it's a slasher movie. That uh, it just, 
preys on your fears and and then and it finds what works and it keeps going with it i mean it's just like halloween you see what they did when they tried to mix things up and mix the supernatural into halloween it sucked so what did they do they come back and you know the halloween 30 40 years 40 years later and it's actually pretty good you know both of them were good so raw raw we're an angry mob hi my name's rob that's not that's not how that went <laughs> evil dies tonight evil that's dies how tonight. it went make america great again hey, 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 hey. Uh-uh. no politics <laughs> okay no so... justice no peace no justice no peace <laughs> we can throw more in the there. name of <laughs> and you had to go rage against the machine yeah. For me, oh, I, I, I didn't have a good che guevara chant ready i had um, i absolutely uh, war politics but i love love rage against the machine i'm going to see them with jesse uh this summer nice yeah anyway all right so here's my deal with scream um i think if it is one of the, <clears throat> it's one of those things where um if it does a handful of things right i'm going to give it a passing grade um I think the one thing it whiffs on was, I guess, pretty like me, who doesn't really think too hard about these things and just kind of like goes along for the roller coaster ride. If I can figure out who the killer is within minutes of the of the film, and this is not strongly the, the mystery is not strongly written, so it, that 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 was a bit of a failure. I, I figured for, it was the boyfriend, and then it was the creepy the, the creepy brunette. For whatever, yeah. For whatever it's worth, I agree with you. I think the mystery element of this film is probably the weak. It's among the weakest of. They the tried hard, movie. man. Not with the girl so much. The girl, they telegraphed it way early on. They never stopped telegraphing it to where, like, when she when she reveals it and shoots the girl with the colored hair, I was like, "Well, I'm glad we're finally doing this now. You've made me wait long enough." Well, with well, me, they telegraphed welcome it so to Act hard. Three. <laughs> Literally, with me, they telegraphed it so hard that. I was like, there's no way they're just going to give that up. There's no yeah. way. But they did. Um, well, at least I think that's what you... they were kind of going for, the reverse psychology thing of it. Well, at least with, with we're going to keep calling him Huey now. At least with Huey, who his actual name in the stupid movie. Uh, um, oh, Huey. The movie is Ricky. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, okay. J- Jack Quaid. Um, mm-hmm. At least with Jack Quaid, I thought that they at least tried. It wasn't How successful. does that guy look nothing like his father? Jack Quaid, they... They they kept trying, you know, like, like he doesn't know the stab movies. He's completely like behind a lap with everything else that's going on. He has to constantly be brought up to date. And so when when it's the when when he's part of the reveal, it's like okay, I called. You've already called this out. Uh, I don't know if the term is lampshading, if that's correct here, but you called this out when Dewey said it, and everyone kept pointing to him through a majority of the film, and then you know, and then. You're supposed to think it's just the girl, but then who else is it? And then there's always two, and there he is. And you're like, yeah, we knew this already. I mean, it's it's. I don't even want to call it a quibble because it's a big part of the movie, and they whiffed the ball on it. But it didn't. It was more of one of those things where, like, I rolled my eyes. I was like, we knew this was going to happen, but I'll, I'll, I'm willing to. The rest of the movie is good enough that I don't care as much. Um, I, I you know it's. It, I can't give the movie like an A or anything for that reason because you messed up a big L- you messed up one of the big legs of the stool and not being able to sufficiently hide who your killer is. But whatever, the th- the stuff I liked about it, um, unlike Ghostbusters, they didn't have the legacy characters steal the movie right out from under your main players. I thought um, Melissa Barrera, who is the real star of this thing, 
who plays Sam Carpenter. Now you're gonna make me. I'm gonna laugh now every time I say that. Now that you've made you've made the point of like, oh, that's a John Carpenter reference. Um, I, I, one, she's a very pretty gal. Um, I, I thought she was very engaging. I liked her character. Um, a bit of a quibble, and this is just a personal thing. You know, they, they, they say that she's got some mental health issues. She's got some psychosis going on. Ugh, I, I don't. They love... throw that in there just as an excuse to have digitally de-aged Skeet Ulrich well, show they up. They threw that in there so that they could have a reason for her having hallucinations. Here's the thing: you can have hallucinations with just PTSD. You don't need to have. They they, they seem to think that she's got some sort of like schizophrenia going on, and I'm like, that's not how that works. Um, and and she I could mean... have had she could have had you know brief hallucinations of seeing her father for whatever the reasons are, just due to trauma. But again. We've I mean, talked about this she a million said, times. Look, she said uh, when talking with her sister, like, I did every drug known to man. Which is, like, a, yeah, which is also another you, way that she could have generated. You could, damage your, yeah, you could damage your brain doing that and have it be that. Like, we don't right. need. Yeah, I, I think if it's if it's drug-induced psychosis, I'm a little, willing to go a little bit more along the way. Here's the thing, though. I'm one of, like, the 1% of mental health professionals who saw this movie and was like, hey, hey, hey. Rate a DSM five, you bastards. That's uh, where I was going to go with this because yeah, because yeah, nobody else, <sighs> yeah, no, nobody else is like, wait, who cares? Um, you know, hallucinations, drugs, schizophrenia, PTSD, lobster, it doesn't matter. It, I throw it on the buffet, baby. That's what yeah. I like in my characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, every mental health problem, right, <laughs> right. So, and, and none of them actually manifest. <laughs> there, yeah. You know what? No, no, no. It's, it's we an need to... to give her hallucinations. That's it. Some character in the near future is going to be the mental health equivalent of Mr. Burns. <laughs> all of your, all of your psychoses are in perfect balance. We call it Three Stooges syndrome. <laughs> so no anyway, I get through the door. But I, I thought as a final girl and as an engaging lead. I thought she pulled it off very well. I think she you did. And I, really I'm just going to say this. You and I had very different experiences with that character. Okay. I, I liked her a lot. Um, I was engaged with her through the whole thing. I wanted to see her win in the end. I thought the little, I mean, I, the, the stuff with the mental illness could have been played upon a little bit more. If you're going to give somebody active hallucinations, those hallucinations seem to manifest themselves in ways that cause the character to have to overcome hurdles, not be an occasional Jiminy Cricket on her shoulder going, it's okay to kill now, you know, <laughs> it's okay to get all stabby. Um, I, 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 again, that seemed like a bit, a bit weak to me, but in general, Fairly. I liked her. Um, I, uh, you know, Jack Quaid's character was, was fun and engaging. The, <laughs> The girl who plays basically Randy in this movie, uh, her line delivery cracked me up. Like Are you talking about one of the twins? Yeah, yeah, the she had, was awesome. The, the, the like, that girlfriend. had to be on un- it. Like that's the that's the best unintentional comedy in this movie. I laughed that hard character. when she when she gets up and goes, "Oh my god, we're doing a requel." I'm hysterically laughing in the theater. I'm the only one, by the way, and there's the, the, a fair amount of people in there. I went to go see it like three thirty on a Friday. And I'm laughing out loud at that. And then there's a few other lines where, kind of like The Matrix, where the movie is openly hostile to its fans. I, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm there for it. I, it does I'm kind of flip the, the bird, mo- doesn't it? <laughs> I'm rooting <laughs> all, the movie. Yeah, that's on. right. That's right. Give us hell, Quimby. <laughs> yeah. When the, when the movie seems to be openly hostile to fans, I'm considering how much I, I hate fandom right now. I'm, I was there for it. And I think that's ballsy on the part of people who want you to pay money for this thing to then once they've paid the money and they sat down, you hit them in the face with your penis. 
Fantastic. Good job, movie. <laughs> um, and that's thing I, I said after. Your phallic obsession is showing, Mark. I, I We all have our vices. Don't kink shame me. Um, I, I, oh, Lord. I, I will, and I do. <laughs> but um, I said after the movie, I, I, and I you know, the little picture thing I put up on Facebook and then everywhere else, because I'm always social mediaing. Um, how is, is your how has the jail you work at not hired you to be their social media director yet? Uh, that's a whole other story. Start drawing a second paycheck, Mark. <laughs> um, I said it this simultaneously felt like a love letter to the fans for all the Easter eggs, for you know, for all the references, for getting the tone and the getting the tone of the movie right, getting the the type of horror movie that this is supposed to be getting, nailing all the aspects of what a screen movie should be, and I think hitting it out of the park on those levels. That's what I meant by I felt like a love letter to the fans while also flipping them off <laughs> and being openly hostile to fans being ridiculous, you know, I think like there's already this is being generally well received on social media, and there's already a petition to have more of these made because we can never just be happy with what we have. Um, we must run things into the ground. Yeah, uh, I like the sister. Um, a little awkward scene there in the hospital where you know this, the, you know, Marlis Pereira is trying to come out to her and say, "Hey, I, I, I caused our family to break up, and I, you know, and I ran because." I hated myself and everything around me and I just needed to go. And the little sister, I could, I, I could buy somewhat the reaction. It seemed a little overdramatic. She's like, Hey, listen, I've nearly been murdered. I'm not really up for, you know, this admission that you broke up our family right this second. Bearing in mind that, you know, towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where she goes, where she is totally lucid and then tries to play off. Yeah. I'm so high. Yeah, that's that's horribly. That was, yeah. that was horrible. So, I mean, like, look, it's not it's not perfectly written. It's not that great. Some... I mean, it's not that bad, but I mean, I've seen that, worse. That was pretty horrible. There, there were. I didn't, it wasn't that bad. I was like, oh, okay, that was kind of funny. Girls, you're but... both pretty. Listen, it's the the movie. Like I said, has <laughs> has some uh, really really strong general points, but then if you start digging into the minutiae, you're going to find flaws with it. There are blemishes. There's no doubt about that, but it's kind of like, where, where do you want to start this fight? Exactly. Um, like I said, the, this, the sister twin doing her routine about, uh, requels and the fandom, what the, the line about the internet goes batshit when you, when you try to give them something new, I openly, I, I like, loudly guffawed and i was the only one in the audience that did uh i thought all, all that was great her brother was meh um you know it was just sort of her brother look there's a bunch of people in this movie that are there specifically as cannon fodder and you yeah. know that because you could remove them and lose nothing that's i was just getting to that like the, killing the, the 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 twin jock character killing wes killing his mom added nothing to the movie except to create a body count I, and then their explanation for doing all of these things, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about, and I'll pitch it over to you, Robert. On the one, it, it, I'm so torn on the ending because the thing that makes Scream scream is the personal connection to your main, you know, your survivor, except that they've run out of people that are connected to Billy Loomis and Dev Campbell, um, uh, Sydney, uh, that I, I guess they figured doing this again would would be kind of pointless let's just make this let's make the killings and the whole like redoing this redoing the screen thing an ode to wanting to pump some life back into the horror genre 
And on the on a meta level, which you need that for it to have a good screen movie, I get and can appreciate. But when 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 Jack Quaid's explaining basically that this is all a reaction to what's become of their beloved horror franchise, and they're specifically taking aim at the analog for Scream, which is Stab, my eyes kind of glazed over. I was like, "Ugh, all right." I you know what you know what that needed. Mm-hmm. It needed a fourth wall break. It really did. It, like, it, there, there's a there's a bit where one of the characters says, "This isn't a movie." I need, at that point you need Jack Wade to look at the camera and go, "Isn't it?" You know, or kind of a Rick Moranis. You know, just look at the camera and go, "Does everyone get all that?" Um, you know, something along those lines. Because here's the thing: without the personal connection beyond what they already established with Marissa Melissa Barrera's character, I was like, "Okay, this whole thing has been an exercise in masturbation." It's like. It, you know, their explanation for having the Scream movie was to have a Scream movie. And that kind of misses the point of the original, which I think is a strong enough through thread that without it, you could have literally just called this stab. Like, you did, this didn't need to be a part, a part of the Scream thing. Uh, this is actually the last thing I'm going to say. Uh, and I started to say this before, but I was too busy making fun of Ghostbusters Afterlife that I lost my train of thought. Um... <laughs> Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and um, former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette God, were all really? never going to stop. Only the third worst WCW World Heavyweight Champion, David Arquette. Um, I, will, I will give you that. He's definitely not the worst ever. I didn't say he was the worst. I just said he was former. Um, and, sorry. You know, for Ronnie's sake, so I'll stop doing that. So former, much better than Jeff Jarrett. I, I former, just... former deathmatch wrestler David Arquette. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I thought they were used effectively without taking the film out from under your lead. The leads were all very strong. They were at the forefront. Your legacy characters were used effectively to just sort of back them up. They were part of the finale without overtaking the finale. You know, in the end, Marissa Barrera got to do all the hero stuff. Um, you know, they were there to just provide flavor and some, you know, and, and some uh, straightening out of things. They were not there to save her from the situation, which I appreciated. So, you know, and that's, over- and that's what I liked about it. I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I just mm-hmm. want to get this in there. Um, that's what I liked about it because this was Why didn't about- Luke single-handedly take on the Empire and the New Order? <laughs> anyway, this is... Hmm. <laughs> I liked that there were, it's a passing of... Uh, shut up! It's the passing of a torch that, um, it, 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 like, they... They got out badass as they were, excuse me, and they pulled out their guns. They racked the, around in the in the chamber, and I was like, "Let's do this." And they got in, and she immediately got shot. Yeah. I mean, it's just like she's down for the count. And I'm like, "Okay, that's that's pretty cool," yeah. because they're going to do the whole passing of the torch thing. Not here they come to save the day, right? You know, um, and but I didn't. I did see some passing of the torch in Ghostbusters Afterlife, but that's for for a different day. Um, but it, it's one of those things where. I thought they did it well. I mean, like, yeah, you can see where they're like, they're kind of going back to the well. They're going, you know, they're trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel on some things, but that's kind of what they need to do anyway, to reestablish this. If they're going to remake this, they're going to reboot this, re-energize this franchise, then they need to do that. And then, then they excuse the the legacy characters out. I I think what I have said in the past, and then, and then I'm going to go straight to Robert on this. If you choose to do a sequel of an established franchise, you can't just write your own thing, utterly 
separate from everything that's come before it, then slap the name on there and expect people to enjoy it. By the same token, you can't copy everything you've done previously and say, voila, new movie. There, All there's evidence a, to the contrary. There's a space in the middle that exists where I think this does. But, Robert, what do you think? Uh, I'm not nearly as uh, enamored with this as other people. <laughs> now, okay. in fairness to that point, I think this movie is probably going to grow on me a little bit over time more than I walked out of the theater fist pumping. I didn't. Mm. Uh, God, I hope not. Uh, I, my son's asleep. I can't wake him up and shake him and say people shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm referencing peeps, people's terrible audience reactions again. I wouldn't have done it. Hang on. I was not going to do it during the movie. Okay. Like, I'm, not that, I'm not that guy. <laughs> uh, there's things about it I liked. You know, you know, The opening sequence is fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that they... It's freaking brutal, man. That was rough to watch for me. You're a big weenie. Okay, when he steps on her leg, this the ADR Ooh. of the bone crunching. I was like, big Whoa. weenie. Okay, I felt this was more brutal than than, than the others, actually. Uh, probably. In fairness to that point, I imagine if I went back and did a straight, like trying to compare all of them, it, it probably was more brutal than the others. Yeah, <clears throat> but I'm also, you know, if I go see a slasher movie, hey, real quick. When she said my favorite movie, horror movie is the Babadook, I I wanted I I wanted to like call you immediately, like Robert Babadook, Babadook. The fact that her line after shooting the girl in the head was, "I still prefer the Babadook." <laughs> I laughed, you know, I I laughed hard at that, but I laughed hard because I know you. So I watched when I was watching it, and she said, "I prefer the Babadook." I immediately went, "Oh." <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, or when, when he, go, when he goes in, when he goes in for trivia and she says, why don't you ask me about all these movies I like? like why don't you ask me about The Witch or It Follows? Or I'm like, yes, I know all those movies. Suddenly, suddenly Robert's like, I must find this character and marry them in real life. Um, no. Now, Robbie, do you know no. the history of the Babadook with me and Robert? Because that's yeah. kind of an inside Yeah, thing. absolutely. Okay. I mean, like, I mean, I enjoyed the Babadook. I enjoyed The Witch. I enjoyed mm -hmm. uh, It Follows. But that was just like, kind of like, Oh yeah, yeah, that that would yeah, that tracks okay. with this where where this is going, you know. You're one of those you're one of those horror fans. <laughs> yeah. And let me be clear, I have no problem with those horror fans. I happen to be one of them depending on the, the, yeah. like, I like those. I also like, you know, stuff like this. I, I don't yeah. mind I like a good slasher movie. My my thing with slash with you know calling you a big weenie about that you know I've seen plenty of slasher movies that are a lot more brutal and I don't just mean gory I mean you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise the original bit in the first the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie when uh, the character we're following is thrown around the room in the dream in the dream world in the real world uh, on that rotating it's actually a room that they built that rotated hey, Robert uh, get back to screen please. Yeah, yeah. There's more brutal stuff. Here was, I think, one of my big problems with this. One, I didn't buy into Sam Carpenter the way you guys did. I'm not saying she's the worst character in this movie. She's not at all. But she didn't quite click with me the way others have, the way other, you know, okay. people in this situation are supposed to. So, was there something defective about her character, or was this she just, you just kind of went meh? She's one note as a character. Mm hmm. Um, she's weepy. 
I don't like weepy characters. Okay. Uh, which is not to say she's um, not proactive. She is. Mm -hmm. is yes, she, isn't she the one with the great line about I'm going to do something that nobody ever does in these horror movies? I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like, amazing. That was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that, that was, I appreciated that. Like, I, mm -hmm. I'm, there's, I'm not saying she's bad. I'm saying she, if you have to carry the weight of this, I don't think, like, she doesn't fall on her face. Mm -hmm. I've seen that. That's not what happened here. But, I, this was just like, you know, a, a six out of a six, seven out of 10. Okay. And so like loosely passing, but she's not like, I'm not going to remember that character in three days in any sort of meaningful way. Um, she's a bit one note. She's weepy. And I also just have a real, uh, and this is a personal thing. So I'm going to couch it as such. The whole I've inherited my father's, mother's, whatever, <laughs> predilections for violent murder is something that really annoys me. Okay. So the fact that they went there with this, like her being his daughter is enough. I don't need the, I've got the serial killer gene because I got, because of who my father was and I'm now destined to murder people, which is what they're going to do in the sequel. I'm just, I'm going to throw that out there. Now she's got a taste for blood and we have to put her down. <laughs> You tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, so that was that was a stumbling block for me. I think she and Jack Quaid play off of each other well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I kind of liked him. You know, he I thought he did a good job. Her sister was largely a wet blanket. Uh, very little of her character <clears throat> worked for me at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of a drag and some of that is look you spend the movie trying to recover from your bru the being brutalized in the opening minutes yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna allow for her wet blanketedness i'm you know i'm willing to allow for her in a physical capacity to be a wet blanket in that respect mm -hmm. less so as a less so as a written character like there's n there's nothing to her character mm -hmm. like what's what she do she gets attacked more than once like th that's kind of all there is to her, and I, I think that's more what I kind of uh, glom onto with that. Here's, Here's the... uh, I'm going to give her some credit here. She has to do a lot of physical acting. So while you, as, Under... a, as a characterization, she may have been flat, True. but as a physical presence and having to do some very physical acting, like those those scenes in the hospital where she is having to, with you know, with a wound, a deep wound in her hand, roll the thing, or she's going to die. I thought the actress pulled that off very well. And she's a slight girl. So credit where credit's due. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will 100% agree with you on that. Her physical acting is good. 100%. Mm. The biggest problem, I think, for this movie is our cast of miscreants. Not to steal. I, I could have said misfits, but I decided to go the other way. <laughs> Look, there's really only the two words there. Our cast of... I, I to... Our cast of potential killers. There you go. <laughs> That, that this group of idiots. Listen, I haven't trademarked those as actual words. <laughs> okay, Vince, thanks. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Those people all suck. Yeah. They are they are so painfully painfully obviously cannon fodder. Mm. They're nothing. Hey, here's the here's, you know, Wes. I wonder what he's in reference to. And we're going to tease a, a scene like Psycho and then the, the thing these about 
the, he's a nothing character other than him. He's the, the thing prepared about the first one. movie was how Rose McGowan, yeah. um, Matthew Lillard, uh, what's his face there, uh, Skeet Ulrich, mm-hmm. like even if you and took Jamie out, Kennedy and Jamie Kennedy, uh, the, the most obvious one being Jamie Kennedy, those were all very very distinct characters. Yes. And if you, you know, if you did the Star Wars test, or you have to explain who what who these people are without telling you their job or what they wore or what they did in the movie, you absolutely could. And all of these characters fail the Star Wars test here. One hundred percent. The only and one that maybe that maybe passes the bar is the is the is the Jamie Kennedy analog. I don't even give her that. Okay. Like I, 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 I can respect that you might be able to make the argument. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can give you. Look, she's the. I mean, there's that that line. Like, oh, you're the expert. <laughs> okay, so what's everyone else? They don't even get that. Like, she, these are these he, are the worst. Here's here's where I think you may be missing the point of her character. She herself is very very sarcastic, sort of sardonic. Um, you know, she's skeptical. That's a lot of her characterization, Look, which doesn't come across as particularly dynamic. But I recognized it for what it was. Well, they were Randy's. They were Randy's nephew and, and niece. Mm-hmm. Look, here's. I think my biggest gripe with her is that they. And I don't know who's responsible for this, so I'm just going to say this is my gripe with the the role. Mm-hmm. That's your wannabe Deadpool. Mm-hmm. That's your. I'm too cool for school. I'm too sardonic. I'm too sarcastic. Don't you know the rules? Yeah, like that. And mm-hmm. I just, I have no patience for those characters. But that was exactly what Randy was. I had no patience for Randy. I was happy when he died. <laughs> I thought I like, this was because it was Jamie Kennedy. But I that like, too. Here's the thing about Randy. Rand, Randy obviously had a thing for Sydney, And yeah, part of like, his characterization Rand- was the frustration that Billy wasn't good enough for Sydney, and Randy believed he was, and that was a big part of his character. Here, here's the other thing about Randy. You're, you're entirely correct in that. Randy was more than just the horror movie guy. Mm-hmm. He interacted with the other characters in believable ways. What does yeah. this character do other than have a secret handshake with her twin? Um, who? Well, I'll, I, I, you know what? You want to give me? You want me to give you credit for disliking her character? This is yet another one where they think lesbianism is a character trait. Yes, that too. Like, hey, she'll make out with a girl, and this will pass for strong character writing. Yeah, it that, really. That, that's does. a big problem. <laughs> like, no I, one cares, guys. I hate to break it to you. This looks poor Ronnie. Ronnie looks like he's having an aneurysm. Ah, uh, just yeah, we're good. Okay. Uh, I, I, and look, to be clear, <laughs> none of us here care that she's a lesbian. Yes, that's we not ca- what I said. We yeah, we care that you think this qualifies as a character. It's it not what was. I heard. Okay, well. I'm kidding. See, you do this all the time. So hey, I'm getting back at you, Mark. Thanks. So I, again, I, I, I could not stand any of these characters. I, I'm not sorry any of them are dead. I'm not sad when I wasn't sad when any of them died. I was. Look, this is one of those things that you never want. You never want to make your serial killer, your slasher villain, sympathetic. Right. Like even if they're tragic characters, like Leatherface, who's a very tragic character, you never sympathize. You never like go get them, Leatherface. <laughs> you swing that chainsaw at the aliens, which is a thing that happened. <laughs> well said about that movie, the better. But there is a movie where he starts swinging his chainsaw at a UFO. Awesome. 
That movie also stars uh, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, both of whom tried to sue to keep it from being released. Yeah, the point really is know. that the point <laughs> the, the point is these characters are so bad that when Ghostface is chasing down the jock, I'm kind of rooting for Ghostface. And that's a big failure of writing. I think even worse is when he's chasing down the jock, I'm like, all right, kill him and get on with it already. Yeah, it's not interesting, and you don't care about this character enough to even vaguely root for his... I think worse than, like, a Reggie the Reckless thing where you're like, die already, or a situation like Nancy, you're like, no, anyone but Nancy is indifference. That is the tragic, tragic bad writing of this movie, is that I am indifferent to killing everybody but Michelle Barrera and the legacy characters, and maybe her sister. Pretty much. And... And like I said, that's kind of the biggest problem. Uh, I didn't have that big of a problem with that. The characters, yes, they need to be more fleshed out, in my opinion. That's where I was. I was just going to say that there was a there was there is a whole lot more room for these characters to have uh, personalities and 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 uh, and the like. And I get that. I, I completely do. But it's not like and I, and I get where y'all are com- coming from. But it was one of those things where like okay. So deputy or now Sheriff Judy, I was sad when she died. I was like, oh, crap, man. That's, you know, uh, I saw her there. I kind of knew that she's not going to be the killer. So, but, you know, I was like, it's 50-50 whether she, they, they, they kill her now. So if they, then Sheriff Deputy, Sheriff Judy needed more to do. But what? I, I'm not going to write the movie now. Um, I, I, one, I don't have time. But I'm saying, like, we... <sighs> It's hard, Ronnie. It's it's hard to balance, you know, giving characters more to do and not dragging the thing out to Lord of the Rings. Hey, hang guess- on, hang on. Look, look, Mark is making the same point that our uh, Greek chorus did. No one cares about the sequels. <laughs> because, you, you, Ronnie, you're, you're remembering her from... Oh, yeah, I don't remember this character from another movie. Like, you're remembering her from the other, from some of the sequels where she features. She's Mark actually is- in four. Yeah, and Mark is like, I don't know who this is. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but but you know, uh, I, I I mean, I I guess I get where you all are coming from, but I don't feel that strongly about it. I don't think it's that. Okay. It's a lot of it was that big of a deal. You know, it's not a failure in writing. It's just, it's a slasher flick. I mean, like, there's well, not a no, whole it is lot a of failure in writing. You just may be able to forgive it and not in it not affect you. But you know, when I say I, I cannot it, say it's a failure in writing because. I, I, I mean, like one, I just, me personally, I'm like, nah, I, I, whatever. Right. But this is, this is the argument that I get into with, with Alexis is there's a difference between subjective appreciation for something and objective quality. And you do X, Y, Z, you've met objective quality. You do one, two, three, you're failing at objective quality. And that's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. Yeah. No, and, I, and I get that, but I, mm-hmm. I don't see an objective quality. I, I don't see it as a failure. I okay. see it as a, a as a better. But I don't see it as a complete failure. Okay. You would make a wonderful high school guidance counselor. <laughs> because I see the good in the world? What? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, I, I, I only mean that as like a fourth of an insult. Robert, <laughs> Thanks, wrap up. Robert. Uh, look, I had a terrible high school guidance counselor, the lazy <laughs> sack of crap. Um, You're 40. I don't care. Move on. <laughs> the... The finale, I think, takes too long. Yeah. It gets a bit too drawn out. And 
especially because there's almost nothing happening. Like you get the rant, like as soon as you get the first take of the rant, mm-hmm. like I don't need you to keep going on about that. And it just kind of keeps going beyond its, uh, like beyond its sell by day, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got some, we got some nice kills, which make me happy. I'm, I'm part gorehound, so I'm fine with that. Uh, I think this is probably the, in terms of the meta commentary, I think this is probably the best one since the original. Mm-hmm. In terms only of the meta commentary, not the overall writing. I mean, because two does a little bit of a riff on sequels, and two also came out at a time before we had the state of film that we do now, when everything is a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of all it does. Three. That's one of the big things that's missing out of three and four uh, is four in particular, I think, is some of the meta commentary that falls down a little bit. Four is stronger in other areas enough to make up for it. Uh, Three, not so much. Uh, So I I do think that outside of the original, which was just a commentary on the slasher genre writ large, this one being a state uh, being a commentary on the state of creativity in Hollywood and the lack thereof as well as commenting on the relationship between fandom and uh, uh, studio IPs is is probably the most, is probably something that I think uh, is the most interesting thing that's been talked about again since the original. I want to ask a question and we're going to end on this unless you have like a real burning desire for any further crack review, Robert. But I want to ask you both this because this is something I'm thinking about. We just had the Matrix, which was openly hostile about you know you know in the creation of itself hang on the matrix resurrections is hostile to everything it is anathema to good film it it, <laughs> it was openly one... hostile to the studio system let's, hostile let's to limit the, studio... the discussion here hostile to the studio system hostile to fans <laughs> hostile to anyone with a thinking uh, with fully so this was hostile brain. to fans the Matrix Resurrections, we're going to say, is hostile to fans. I'm sure if we think about it hard enough within the last year or so, we can come up with more. And there's got to be more in the pipeline that we're going to find out over the next year or let's, two. Hold that, on. Let's not, are... let's not pretend that Ghostbusters 2016 wasn't hostile to fans. Okay. I, I um, So my point being, how many times do you think... Like, we're picking up on it. <clears throat> but we make... But this podcast is really dedicated to the um to the idea of, of of dissecting deconstructing hollywood that is, the mu hollywood if i had to call it, come up with a different name that doesn't have a curse word in it would be deconstructing hollywood that is what we're doing um we subverting do it through, expectations you know, <laughs> subverting expectations um and you know it is it, it's not just a movie review it's, it's a deconstruction of where we are in hollywood film by film and my question is you know and so we've picked up on a lot of this Obviously, some other YouTubers have picked up on it because they've they've I've, they've done videos about it. But I'm wondering how long it's going to take before we've reached a tipping point where Hollywood's going to you know going to put out so many movies that are openly hostile towards its fans or moviegoers in general before people start rebelling large enough that it changes the way things are done. And I'm just L- curious to see what you think about that. Oh, go ahead. Lar- large enough that it changes the way things are done. Quite a while. I was going to say, before, before Hollywood stops greenlighting movies that are openly hostile to the people that are supposed to be, you know, it's like you're selling somebody a car. You're like, hi, I'd like to buy a car. I bet you would, fat ass. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of where we are right now. So, 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 so we just walk by the compact section? 
Do you even want to look at that? <laughs> I'd like to buy a car. Well, wide load. Let me take you over to the SUVs. You can get your fat ass in there. You can't talk to me that way. I'm trying to spend money here. You're going to spend money here anyway, fuckface. Doesn't matter. Let's go. Because there's only three car dealerships in town, uh, and they're actually all kind of owned by the same people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of where we are with film. Ronnie, you want to weigh in here? I'm still stuck on the the car shopping thing. Ask your question <laughs> one more time. Well, hang on. Let me let me finish my point here. Yeah. Uh, large enough fan rebellion that it's going to change how things are done. Not for a while, because mm-hmm. it takes studio. It t- the Hollywood machine at this point is behind the curve ninety percent of the time. Right. I think we're still. I think we're at the ass end of digging out of all the green, of all the woke movies that got greenlit. Yeah, we we are finally kind of getting around um, that bend. Then you know, look, in three more years, we'll be trying to dig ourselves out of the endless comic book adaptations and sequels and spinoffs and reboots and multiverses. And after that, we might get away from fan hostility because at that point, everyone's going to be pissed off that the fans got sick of their comic book movies. Yeah. We, so, we did all of this for you. How, how could you have forsaken us? Well, look, you fired everyone that we liked after the first, <laughs> after phase three. And then you decided that what we all really needed was Natalie Portman as Thor. Now, hey, right. Hang on. But to answer, to give the other answer to this, mm-hmm. like, what's the point at which fan rebellion becomes vocal? Because that's different. Like again, large enough to really kind of influence things is a ways down the road. Absolutely, because large enough, large they, enough to they can't keep making movies that directly insult the people that buy tickets. People will stop buying tickets at some point. That's what I'm trying to get to. Uh, they will, but they're also good. They w- people are dumb, Mark. You know this. <laughs> people will take the abuse, especially mm. if you're able to kind of gussy it up. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you a black eye. I'm helping you with your audition where you play an abuse victim. Yeah, I. but the, like, there comes a point where, people, where even the dumbest amongst us will run out of patience. And yes, I think that's that, that question was what I was asking. That point is farther off. The point at which the fan backlash becomes loud enough, especially loud enough to really kind of be noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in three to four more Marvel movies. Okay, and here's so and here's why by, by 2023 that sounds like maybe um maybe maybe 24 but and here's why i say that um doctor strange is probably not going to try to piss off the fans mm-hmm. um you might get some cheeky references in there but you're not going to get wholesale abuse right i'm less concerned i'm less sure about that when it comes to thor Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm very much less sure about that when it comes to Thor. Just be very clear about that. And I don't mean me personally. Like that. Look, Thor Ragnarok hurt me personally in ways that take <laughs> that takes therapy. Blood and Thunder, or Love and Thunder, or whatever the hell it is. That one I feel like is going to be hostile to fans. Openly hostile to yeah, and I think I think you're right about Wakanda Forever too being one of those where it's going to be like a South Park skit, you know, with uh, Johnny Cochran using the Chewbacca defense. There's there's a real ch- that one that one i don't think will be as hostile to fans it mm-hmm. might but there's black panther has enough kind of goodwill i think that and, and everyone is willing to go along with after with it's going to be hard for people to be honest about that movie let me just put it like that yeah all right um, hey. and, and hang on here's the other one 
And this is the one that I think might be our tipping point, is since you brought mm-hmm. this up about fan backlash getting loud. The Marvels. Yeah, okay. Like I, Between the next Thor movie, the Black Panther sequel, and the Marvels, like right. something about that trinity of films, I would bet that some of them are going to be hostile to fans. And I think that's kind of the point when the fans are going to, it's going to get loud enough that you're not going to be able to dismiss it as a small contingent. Yeah, it's of, not going to be the 2016 Ghostbusters thing where you can be like, oh, it's just fat neck beards in the basements. It's like, oh shit, this is, like, this no, is a lot of people, a lot of different people. Yeah. Like I, I think that's going to be the point. And there's going to be other movies. I, I, I mark time in that respect. And I use the MCU because that's the big cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. I I imagine we're going to get other stuff in the interim that's going to add fuel to the fire that's just not sure. going to be oh, quite as ab- big. Absolutely. Ronnie, you want to say anything here or you want to move on to the money? Let's go to the money. All right. Then uh, before we do, hey, Ronnie, what'd you say? <laughs> you seem, you're okay, Ronnie. You seem frustrated. <laughs> I'm frustrated, but it's okay. It's just a movie. What, what do you? I don't no. see, I don't see the hostility. That you all are seeing, though okay. I don't see where Marvel's going to be hostile. Give me a minute and speak. Oh, on that. It, hang on. If you no, mean no if you mean Marvel specifically, it, no, I, I think he's talking about just this movie in particular. You didn't oh, see okay. this movie as being particularly hostile to, towards people, especially uh, yeah, the yeah, I, I, was saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I see where it's maybe tongue in cheek, poking fun at the at the fans, but I don't see them actually openly being hostile. But let's the thing about it is, is like uh, I don't know where you're, which which one you're going to cut to, so I don't know how to segue into your your ad here. Um, um, so, Amazon, a- Amazon. <laughs> um, but you know, speaking of hostile to people who give it money. <laughs> <laughs> well done. At, at this point in time, though, I just you know what I like to do. I like to I just like to kick on some good music and f- forget the world exists. And what service do you use? No, what service do you use? Robert, no more, no <laughs> more hanging on. Done. Okay. I, uh, and what service, I, Ronnie, do you, use, do you use when you just want to kick on some music and ignore the world? I use Amazon. Daggone it! All right, you do. It's the best streaming. It's the best music streaming service on the web. That's right, everybody. And we just happen to be giving away free thirty-day uh, trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. If you click the link in this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can have access to 30 days of Amazon Music Unlimited. You can stream all you like. There's over 70 million songs to choose from. All the latest albums. We just reviewed Lordy Versity's Abracadaver on Monday. And then before that was oh, I, need to, I, need to listen, I need to listen to that album so I can listen to your review. Um, that's all on there. As a matter of fact, we're doing the night flight orchestra next week. That's all on there too. All the bands that Ronnie thinks we made up that are real bands are all on Amazon <laughs> music unlimited for you to check out and you can do it for free. And who doesn't love free? So click the link at get Amazon music.com slash W2M network for your free trial. Your 30 you know day free trial find? of Amazon music. You can find every single ad- uh, every single rendition of red right hand that has ever appeared in every screen screen movie ever. I love on the, I do too, but there's like I do, but oh, it's so good. I, I don't. I actually don't love it because of Scream. Uh, so if like, you want to check out Scream, it, Scream is not the property that made me fall in love with that song. 
that's Peaky Blinders because it is the intro song for that yeah. show. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually looking. I think I, for whatever reason, I was looking up Red Right Hand and I kept finding Peaky Blinders. And I'm like, what is this crap? Um, Peaky Bl- hey, the first three seasons of Peaky Blinders. It's a good great. show. Yeah. I, I believe you. And with that, here comes the money. Uh, yes. All right, here we go. On a budget of $24 million, this thing has already made $51.8 million. So it is aiming to be fairly, it's already made twice its budget, which means it's profitable. This thing's going to be very successful financially. Um, Successful enough. I wouldn't go crazy. That thing had a budget of only 20. No more hanging on, Robert. I, I just need to hear this. You said only 25 million? $24 $24 million according $24 to the million dollar budget. Page. Wow. Yeah. They, I imagine half of that went to Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. <laughs> Listen, Courtney Cox, like her sell-by date's already passed. At this point, she's happy for the work. <laughs> You're not wrong. That was the most harsh thing I've ever heard about. <laughs> uh, look, Wait what, a minute. Wait a okay. goddamn minute. Courtney uh, Cox, the last the thing she was in other than okay. that. So, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking about, I'm just, because... The reason I say that is because when I saw her, I went, when they did a close-up of her, I was like, oh, 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 oh. Mark did Honey. not mean physically. Mark no, only meant her career. I know, but that's what I was her, thinking. I mean, her plastic like, surgery is obvious, and it doesn't turn me on, but she's not an unattractive woman. I mean, it, no. But she, she is negatively affected in this case because she's standing next to Nev Campbell, who right. has she, aged like a fine wine. Yeah, she's aged very gracefully. She's still a very pretty, oh, naturally wow. pretty woman. Um, anyway, my my when I say sell by date, like she's not getting work like she used to. Her last film she was in, she was she was Beth in Mothers and Daughters, and if you saw that, give yourself a shiny nickel. Um, and then before, then two years before that was just before I go. Oh, she was a director and producer of that. She didn't actually have a role in the film. Um, and then before that was Scream Four. Her television work. Um, which she never had to work again after Friends. Let's get that straight. She's but still she, making residuals. Yeah, she's 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 fine. But you know, in terms all of, of those, the all work, of those five are every single one of them. Yeah, she's in something this year called Shining Veil, vale, which is a some sort of horror comedy television series. Uh, before that, she had an episode. She was in an episode of Modern Family. Um, she was the host of something called Nine Months with Courtney Cox. And then, yeah, she just she gets an episode here and there just doing shit. So she's not. So, again, it's not like she's in like major life defining things here. Her career, you know, her career isn't over, but it's not like she's hot like she once was. No, she appeared in David Dobrik's vlog. There's not not much going on for her right now. Okay, so let Uh, me look. God bless her. I'm glad she continues to get whatever work she does. She's certainly not somebody I'm hostile against. But but she's not, you know, she's not Selena Gomez from freaking, you know, who's in everything right now, including, you know, big hit show like Only Murders in the Room uh, in the building. Is that really a big hit? Yes. Um, It's really good. Never heard of it. You haven't heard of a lot of things you live under a rock. Now, listen. Um, the number one movie of the weekend was Scream, obviously. It, it finally ended Spider-Man streak. Hey, Robert, be, be useful and remember something of detail for me. Um, right. Has any movie made it to five weeks in the number one spot? Ever? Yeah. Yes. Not, not, okay, because I, w- I think like four and by week five, something has come up. 
that that usually takes I'm, I, again i'm going to ask if you say ever mm-hmm. like the history of film oh yeah okay so last five years For, i mean last five or, years from 14 how about from 14 to 19 14 to 19 I mean, end game last five weeks it might i think at end game might have okay um shang chi i think got there I don't think it got to five. I, th- I think by Black Panther, five something something else had come along. Black Panther was the last one in 2018 that made it five weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway, you know what the number one is? What? Et at sixteen. Wow. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Ronnie. All right. So my point being, bring. Spider Way. <laughs> very good. Spider Man No Way Home made it four weeks before something came along. It certainly wasn't the three five five. Arr. Um, which is dropping like a rock. Yeah, it is. So Scream was the number one movie of the weekend um, for the weekend of uh, the 14th through the 16th. It made 30 million. It looked like total gross uh, for Paramount. So big win for Paramount there's, here. Who there's gave a non- up on, who gave up on 2021 in like September. There's a the non-trivial way. chance that this movie that Scream in two weeks will do more money than Scream 4 did in its entire theatrical run. It almost beat its entire theatrical run in its opening weekend. Yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home fell from 1-2, as we just said. It made $20 million for the weekend. It'll probably be back at number one next week, just um, because that's the way things are. It's at like $1.5 or $6 billion worldwide. It's cracking all kinds of rec- records. We'll go over it shortly. But yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, is like the fourth highest grossing movie ever something, or at, at the moment. It's 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 currently beating the other Marvel predecessors. Sing two, um, dropped from two to three. Uh, more more doing better than Encanto did, which is now on Disney Plus. The three five five, as we talked about last week, bombed Oof. hard and continues to do so, losing fifty percent of its. Uh, um, it didn't have a lot to begin with, and it just lost half of that. Yeah, uh, and it made two million this weekend. The King's Man. They just announced it'll be on Hulu, I think. February 18th was the date that I thought I read. Made $2 million this weekend. They, Bell, ought just, they ought to just do it now. I'm, people yeah. might actually watch it. Uh, Bell, got, um, which is an anime that debuted in theaters from G-Kids, was, debuted at number six, made about a million six. American Underdog fell from five to seven. West Side Story, seven to eight. Licorice Pizza maintained. Hey, Ronnie, have you seen Licorice Pizza yet? No. Okay, I have. It's not um, showing make- around here. Are you going to be able to find the showing of it before we have to review it? I don't know. I don't think so. Let me, I'll, I'll double check while I'm, while I'm yeah, on this. Work on so that I, me, I, I assume this is yet another quasi rosy look at the coming of age story in the 1970s set in you, like. You'll hear our review. It's interesting. I'm just, look, look, that's me to comment. That's me asking a question about the like style and the genre, not anything else about the movie. <laughs> I didn't ask for it. It's a very weird picture. Um, well, that that's a given. Look who directed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that maintained its spot at number nine. Apparently, a lot of people are also staying away from Licorice Pizza because of some... I, I know what it is now, now that I've seen the movie, but something negative dealing with Asian stereotypes, whatever. The Matrix, Resurrections... Oh, no, we accurately discussed... No, 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 no. There's no accurately nope. about it. Um, is, it <laughs> okay, is it Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's? There's a character who every time he speaks to his uh, Asian wife does so in like a Charlie Chan accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. Oh, no. Like, hang on. I'm going to say, 
One, in the sense that you mean it's not great, sure, not great. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that's great. <laughs> Wildly hilarious, but yeah, not, not kosher. Um, well, anyway. Which version of Charlie Chan? Different actors played the character. The Matrix Resurrections mm -hmm. fell from 6 to 10. Ghostbusters Nostalgia fell from 8 to 11. House of Gucci apparently went back in theaters, uh, yeah. a, handful, a handful of theaters, uh, 700 to be exact, um, fell from 10 to 12. Uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage went back into theaters for some strange reason. Hey, hang on, hang on. Here's what happened with Venom Let There Be Carnage. Yeah, I, 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 would bet I'm, I would bet I'm right about this. Mm -hmm. Some country finally let it in. Mm -hmm. Whether that's India or China, like uh, some country that it had not been in before, mm -hmm. finally, it finally like got through their censorship restrictions. Okay, that that has to be what happened there. That's the only explanation. Like, there's no other reason for this to go back into like thirteen hundred plus theaters. Yeah, like like a, an eight hundred percent increase in theater screens. Yeah, that only happens when a new market opens up for you. So <clears> some place <throat> I don't know where I have to double check. Some place that had not let it be open, yeah. let it in. Like, that's what happened here. Um, so that jumped from 20 to 13. Encanto, which is currently on Disney+, Plus, fell from 11 to 14. Nightmare Alley, which also got its announced date on, I think it's Hulu, dropped from 13 to 15. Um, a Journal for Jordan fell from 12 to 16. Parallel Nightmare, Mothers, Alley, would have, Nightmare Alley would be on Disney+, Plus, wouldn't it? No, not on Disney+. Plus. Maybe. Well, Disney+, Plus has like a separate subheading for more adult content. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be on a streaming service soon. Drive yeah. My Car, 1918, 83, 14, and 19, and Dune, um, 16 to 20. Uh, we, who We Still Are a Chronicle money. of Racism in America, which sounds like a fun family pick. Uh, debuted at number 24. A, well, we a know what Jordan Peele's been up to, if nothing else. <laughs> the Conversation, a 2021 re-release, re-debuted uh, re at number 28. And Italian Studies at number 30. Um Next week, uh, a week from tonight, Robert and I will be reviewing Munich, The Edge of War, which is a Netflix release. We will use the money segment at that time to talk about the 2021 worldwide, you know, our year-end review. Uh, we decided to do one do one, and do it there. So right now, we're just going to stick with where we are worldwide for 2022, which, I mean, it should be obvious where we are. The number one movie worldwide right now is Scream with $37 million. Uh, The 355 is at 12 million that will be like down to 100 by the end of the year um rounding out the top 10 there's a bunch of shit that won't be there by well, look, the time I, I assume it's i assume that we're going to get the sequel to the battle for lake xinjiang <laughs> and that's going to be the number one movie of 2022 so we have the policeman's lineage waiting for bojangles which you know if, uh, who isn't <laughs> really i love bojangles you ever have their biscuits i don't know uh, special delivery, something Why did Polish. you do the sexy thing when you, like, for, with, biscuits? for biscuits? Yeah. Because biscuits are delicious. Um, <laughs> My Hero Academia, weirdly enough, being listed in 2022. I don't really understand why. Uh, uh, I think that's, I, I think because it released in different okay. places during, like, I think that's counting its American release, which happened in 2022, not 2021. I'd have to double check. No, 20, it, it released. I took my daughter to it in uh, 2021. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it. yeah uh, that's why I, said. I don't know why they're listening. That, that is a weird one, then. You're, you're correct. Swingers, something Which else. I, am, I imagine Swingers is a remake of Swingers. I don't know what this is. Um, And then my brothers and I. So, yeah, not a whole lot of data here, but we're only like three weeks into the new year. So that's where we are. Um, This weekend coming up, 
is not a lot of competition, so I suspect Scream will be the number one movie again. I, I'm I'm gonna slightly disagree with you there. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean I was only I was only half joking when I said I think Spider Man takes it back. Oh maybe, but let let us assume it doesn't. So your wide releases for January twenty first this Friday, depending on when you're listening to it, um, is The King's Daughter with Pierce Brosnan, William Hurt, Benjamin Walker, and Kaya Scudelario from Gravitas Ventures. Uh, and then you have another wide release from Universal Pictures, Redeeming Love. I feel like this is the one where it, where it's a story about a, a prostitute, something happens with the love story. I don't remember. Yeah. Sold into prostitution as a child. Angel knows nothing but betrayal. Can her heart ever be mended? Based upon the novel by Francine Rivers. There was a big part of me, because I was actually interested in seeing this, that was going to add this to the list, but I can't imagine Robert being tremendously happy with me if I make him go see Redeeming Love. So I just said forget it. Um, but there is a part of me that wants to see that movie. I'll just wait for it to come on streaming. I can only imagine which part. <laughs> Shut up. Um, <laughs> and then the 28th, there's nothing in, in wide release. And then the 4th, we start to kick things off again. Um, so Look, the 4th belongs The fourth belongs to Jackass Forever, how much that, however much that pains all no, of us. That's, no, the, 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 the movie that's going to win the February 4th weekend is Moonfall by, from you, Roland Emmerich. I... You want to make a bet on that? Yeah, I do. Let's think about that because okay, so Jackass, which has a very limited sphere of influence hey, and is hey. rated R, hey, versus Moonfall, which is PG thirteen, has a sexy cast and is a Roland Emmerich disaster. It film. does not. Hold on, it does not have a sexy cast. Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, sexy cast. No, you're you're not even batting five hundred at that. Whatever. Ronnie, Plus, we Ronnie, have bad. Ronnie, I'm gonna ask Ronnie. Ronnie is the authority on sexy around here. Don't okay. you think Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry are a sexy cast? Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, again, these days I wouldn't even give you Halle Berry. Um, he, look, look. Hang on. Here's the problem, Mark. Here's, Get out. We, didn't we? <laughs> Didn't we, didn't we just discuss nostalgia? Your point is? One of those properties is, has nostalgia going for okay, it. Okay, but it's not like... Okay, it's, Jesus Christ. I don't think any what? of the other Jackass about, movies... Of, of, of the moon. Oh, you're talking about Jackass. Yeah, he's talking about Jackass. He, his nobody knows, is, nobody alive that hasn't tried these tricks and died doing them <laughs> besides us three on this show knows what jackass is. So jackass, I'm just looking at the summary here after 11 years, the jackass crew is back for their final crusade. So, I mean, how many people who were like fans of the original jackass are going to schlep to the theater for this? Better question. How many people who are fans of the original jackass now have nine year old kids who think this is the funniest thing in the world. Okay. Does it count if he's eight? Sure. Okay. Well, I, but again, I don't know if everyone's going to be a derelict parent like I am and bring their eight year old <laughs> to go see Jackass. You I, better not. Okay. Okay. Look, here's the other, here's the other thing. What are you going to do about it, Ronnie? You going to come to my house and beat me up like, you know, like the one kid does in Jackass? Like running while I'm taking a dump and pound on me? Maybe. <laughs> hire, hire Butterbean to take pot shots at you, <laughs> which also happened on. I don't know if that I've would seen... actually work now. For the record, I've seen exactly one episode of Jackass, but mm-hmm. I was a kid in high school in the early 2000s, so I know what it is. 
Okay. My son and I did yes. a, which, which we, which when it was scheduled for October, we did this. So it's been sitting in the can since then. My son and I did a commentary track for the first Jackass movie. And yes, he cried. He thought it was so funny. Uh, here's the other problem with Moonfall. Mm-hmm. Roland Emmerich has negative equity at this point with the with the audience. I don't know, man. Uh, that that trailer looks like it's it's ripe for general this, consumption. You've that got, you've got a you've got the moon <laughs> colliding <laughs> with Earth. No, hold on. You, <laughs> you've got the moon colliding with Earth. You've got amazing, like what looked to be really good CGI. You've got like Halle Berry saying, "Oh, hey, let's hurt," and that's they're actively. You want to talk about somebody that's actively making fun of the genre that they're that they're in? This one, with this one, is actively making fun of the 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 disaster film genre mm-hmm. because everything that's a hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know that scene where they're all jumping their mm-hmm. cars over everything. I want to see this mainly because of that. I feel like it's going to be very tongue in cheek. It's like so. Jackass is a no go for me as far as this. This one's going to be the one I go see. Yep, and I think I mean, it, I, look, it's the one I think I'm every man. I think every man. I think the heart of America, Ronnie Adams, is dead on. Um, <laughs> I think. Look, I'm. I i do not know whether to thank you or flip you off at this point. <laughs> do both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, all I'm saying is, Emmerich's value as a director has has gone down a lot, fairly or unfairly. I tend mm-hmm. to think fairly, given some of the last things that didn't he direct that god awful Independence Day resurgence. No, that was not Roland Emmerich. Okay. I I didn't think so, but I wanted to be sure. I'll double check it. What was the last thing he did? All right. What do you want to to know? You know what? I'll just look up Roland. As a director, Midway. Yeah, which kind of bombed. And then, yeah, he did. He did direct the Independence Day Research. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, fuck. He wrote, directed, and produced that. Yikes. But, but, but here we got White House Down, Anonymous. Uh, 2012, 10,000 BC, the day after tomorrow, the mother freaking Patriot. Well, look, the man has made movies that I deeply enjoy. This is not me saying he's crap. Like I saying he's lost. I'm saying, hang on. I'm saying if you look at his last three movies and how, how is the trend going and what has he done recently? Not what is the. Not what is his body of work. Right, so, his body of work overall, I enjoy a lot of it. All right, okay. Midway I, bom- you're right. Midway bombed. Uh, I think it bombed financially and critically. I'll tell you in a second. Uh, yeah, forty. So forty-two, and it, the it made one twenty-six on a hundred million dollar budget. So so Midway bombs. Independence Day Resurgence, I know bombed. We talked about it. Um, it I mean. Bombed compared to its projections. It had a $165 million budget and a $389 million take. Yeah, that's and, nothing. If, if that didn't crack at least $500 million, it's a failure. Right. And then the box, and then um, the critical response was 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which so we'll count that as a bomb. Stonewall, which um, if, if, if everything goes as planned, I'm making Sean review with me during Gay Pride Month. Um <laughs> <laughs> I am passive aggressively. <laughs> um, that had a box office of two hundred ninety-two thousand. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. I get, uh, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but I, I mm-hmm. think, I think if you oh, had get this whole nine percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I Ooh. can't wait to talk about this. So, uh, 
the, you the do, point you, you, you beef you beef Independence Day resurgence up just a little bit, and you release it now in the height of this this whole um, nostalgic age of you know going back and redoing things. And I, I say Independence Independence Day resurgence. That's a that's a that's a that's a moneymaker. White House right. down bombed. White House down didn't bomb. It did. Yeah, it did. I oh, just it, looked at the, don't argue with me. I looked at the numbers. Yeah, numbers numbers are numbers, but it, and and everybody and every guy that likes I'm explosives and guns. Begging you to not argue. Numbers are don't matter on this podcast. I'm uh, begging, look, I love look, you. Please don't do that. I I didn't hate hang on hang on the facts. Here are the facts, Chris okay. Bailey. One hundred and fifty million dollar budget, two hundred and five million dollar box office. It bombed. That's that's fact. Um, I, I mean, look, I didn't hate White House down, but who cares? I, I'm telling you, know. No, Jesus it, Christ, even on a $30 million budget, his shit doesn't make money. Um, so I'm looking at Anonymous, $30 million budget, $15 million box office. Uh, 2012. 200, okay, this is his last hit. $200 million, 2012 was the last thing that made money of any note. Um, 2012 came out in 2009, and that had a $200 million budget and made almost $800 million. Right. So, my again, the point Emmerich has some movies that I very much enjoy. I still watch regularly in some cases mm-hmm. and I'm not discounting the possibility that I enjoy the heck out of Moonfall. I hope I do. Like I love disaster movies. They're a favorite genre of mine because they're so much fun. Yeah. Like I have a lot of fun with those, but I'm not going to sit in this chair on this podcast where we tell the truth and pretend that Roland Emmerich in 2022 has a lot of uh, value attached to his name at the moment. He well, doesn't. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say to you, back to you. If your argument is he hasn't had a hit in a in a small enough window Almost, time frame. He hasn't had a hit in what? It's 2022 now, and 2009 years? was the last one. So, Over a decade? Yeah, so... In that sense, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. So here's the thing. Is it going to be... I wonder if actually if Moonfall's got its budget listed yet. Oh, it's going to be big. Did you see the trailer that was in front of this one? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I, and I, and I might be a little biased, but I love that trailer. The, the use of Bad Moon Rising I thought was great. Oh, That was a great choice. Yeah, great choice. And look, yeah. I'm look when we talked about potentially putting Moonfall on there, I said yes. All right. Because all right. a, it's I'm got a hundred forty million dollar budget. That's so this thing, I so, imagine it's more than that. Yeah, so this thing has to make probably at a minimum five hundred million dollars. That trailer was hundred and forty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, so it's fun. Actually, there's a line about that. The film was shot in Montreal with a hundred and forty million dollar budget, making it one of the most expensive independently produced films of all time. Yeah, they're banking on this thing making. I mean, I think wishful thinking is eight hundred million. I think more more closer to what it'll actually do will be around five hundred million. But to round this back to the initial discussion, one again, I think because it has zero competition for the next two weeks, Scream and or Spider Man will be fighting it out for number one until the end of January. I agree with the that. first major release that has a sh- that, that that'll overtake both of them. Because by then it's eight weeks for Spider-Man and four weeks for for, uh, Scream will be Moonfall. And that is to counter your point, which is you think Jackass will be the number one, which I think you're nuts. I might be crazy. 
and I might be wrong about this. And, and look, mm. I'm I'm not going to bet anything that I actually care about in this particular respect. I, <laughs> I I'm not that confident, but I am saying you're dealing with a director whose reputation is not trending in the correct direction. You're dealing with a big budget disaster movie, which I love, but are a harder sell these days for some reason, partially because every superhero movie is actually a disaster movie. Yeah. So we've already seen all of this stuff and it's opposite something that always draws attention and that's people doing stupid things and hurting themselves you know if chris bailey were here right now he'd say nostalgia and that's his argument that would be his entire argument for why and jackass would win I'm but not, i i, I don't see saying, it i'm not I, saying I, it you're, that's you're, not my only argument you're overlooking one it. major thing with moonfall though okay sam tarley sam tarley i don't know who that is he's the fat guy he's <laughs> got with the beard the, the comic <laughs> relief He's. I, I was going for a joke and I completely crapped the bed on it. So I'm. Just... <laughs> well, when Ronnie shits the bed, it's time to move on. <laughs> How did we even get here? <laughs> I looked around and I was like, "Freaking Gandalf! I have no memory of this place." <laughs> right. And with that, well, then it's still follow your nose to get out. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The Critical Review is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of DMU Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. It won't help you memorize when you're supposed to be on a podcast, but, you know. I will end you. <laughs> I will be so angry, I will physically teleport to Florida. If you could do that, you should, just to be in Florida instead of... Grammarly will not help North you. Ask, Grammarly will not help you ask the, the podcast snow. host how you know when you're supposed to be on here and what time and what are we covering and what order. But it will help you spell things properly in your Google Calendar. <laughs> Grammarly will help Ronnie Adams correct hundreds of grammar <laughs> punctuations and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving Ronnie Adams' vocabulary and suggesting style improvements to help. Ronnie Adams, download <laughs> Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to help Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast download Grammarly for free. That was the correct response, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go on record as Ronnie asked for this time. <laughs> I asked to do this. We always go on Thursdays at 10 o'clock. We always just go at 10 o'clock because I'm always on Thursdays because, you know, I gave Ronnie, up I have personal one time. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm always, I've am i been interrupted 17 million times on this show. No, no. I, I'll I, screw it. What are you saying? What? <laughs> I just have one question what? for the jury. What days damn you Hollywood normally? I don't care. Okay, that's the correct answer. <laughs> Moving on. I get to ask the jury questions once the trial begins. I hate you. 
Um, I'm always on trial. No, no, no. Like, like I, I love that you guys just went that back and forth, and I point out a procedural element to Mark, and he hates me. <laughs> uh, this uh, was fresh with 75% on the tomato meter, and the audience liked it slightly bit more at 83%. The oh, critical, that sounds fair. The critics' consensus is the fifth screen finds the franchise working harder than ever to maintain its meta edge and succeeding surprisingly often. Eh, that's a fair consensus. Alrighty. Uh, besides Ronnie, who am I picking on today? Uh, I imagine our usual cast of yahoos. Mar Maria Latilla of Film Hounds Magazine. Scream is solid, but it's hard not to be a little disappointed. Shut I mean, up, I, Maria. I can't control what your expectations were. Ergo, I cannot control your disappointment. I don't know what exact look, unless you're talking specifically about characterization, there's not a whole lot to be disappointed in here. You have Ghostface, he does Ghostface things, we have brutal kills, we have the mystery, we have the meta commentary. Like this is kind of paint by numbers in some respects. Uh Charlotte O'Sullivan of London Evening Standard Top Critic. Scream is smart. All that's lacking is a plot or a heroine capable of making a squeal. Shut up, Charlotte. You know, that's, to be fair, that's kind of what I, I didn't, I don't agree on saying there's no plot. These things are always kind of loosely plotted. I, look, I am i can't yell at her over the things about Sam because that's kind of what I said. Congratulations. Sean, you have a bad opinion like her. No, she just, no, look, she happened to stumble onto being correct. Sean Collier of Pittsburgh Magazine. The formula works. Toss Agatha Christie into Halloween and have the characters talk about scary movies all day. Well, and you've you got an easy win. You know, he's not wrong. <laughs> which is Ed the first Whitt time which is the first time that's been said about anything in the city of Pittsburgh in a long time. <laughs> Ed Whitfield of the Tray. You know, I, 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 I look, I have to say this again. Because now that I, since we've been able to see these. I had no idea it was just the O-O-H tray, like mm -hmm. the tray of O's, because of how Mark pronounces this. And my thought was, okay, so they've gone with a French pronunciation, like a French spelling. I was so disappointed when it's the O-tray. <laughs> when Mark brought this up, it made me even more annoyed with this particular outlet. <laughs> like, you've disappointed me on so many levels. <laughs> signals we've moved into a new era where legacy sequels and a bid to keep the wolf of audiences weariness from the door of indifference refer to their conception while sticking to the strategy point for point this as scream 22 notes is fooling no one that is an overwrought sentence buddy like <laughs> that that's a that's a fairly poor bit of writing that needed another go around Corey coleman of double toasted go see it if you're a scream fan how is that all that helpful? What what the what you're supposed you're supposed to review the movie, not give advice. Those are two different things. You idiot. You were Did you even see the movie? You were at least double toasted, if not more. Like you were on your third trip through the through the looking glass there, buddy. Randy hey, why don't you go ahead and review uh the screen force? Well, if you're a fan, you should go see it. Well done. Okay, what, what? I can't. I can't. I, I imagine his review of Spider-Man was something along the lines of Spider-Man. If you're a fan of Spider-Man, go see it. 
Yeah, I believe uh, I believe the next line in the review is I can see Russia from my house. That um, is an unfair line to use, <laughs> and you know it. Randy, <laughs> Randy Jones of Randy Reviews. The Radio Silence boy saw that Scream series on MTV and said, Gen Z, y'all are in crisis. We're on the way. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't, how, I, I don't know. How is that a review of this movie? I don't like it. Apart from the fact that at one point Jack Quaid goes, okay, Gen Z, get the hell out. That was actually pretty funny. I'm not, I'm sure. Like, I didn't have an objection to him doing that. It was just like that. That's the only connection you have to the review. Dennis uh, Watts of Dennis Watts Movie Reviews. You self-employed no, loser. No need to revive with another reversion. This one's popular cheesy slash fic from 25 years ago. What? No. You know what? H- hang on, hang on, hang on. Ronnie Adams of RonnieAdams.com says, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, buddy. The fact that you managed to glom onto one of the characters going, wait, I'm stuck in your bad fanfic as part of your film review is speaks more to the quality of your review than it does to the writing. It doesn't say all that much for the writing for the record. Like that was not a great line. Kevin Carr, fat guy at the movies. You, you, this is who you pick on. (laughs) Mark finds this guy every week, whether he's a, whether his review is bad or not. Here he is to point out this guy. He gave us another two and a half out of four rating. And, (laughs) and please, Robert, Say mean things to this guy because I hate him. Yeah, I have decided to bully Kevin Carr. That, that's all there is not, to no, it. Okay, hold on. If you want to do this, <laughs> you have to find him on Twitter and start <laughs> tagging him with the timestamp for this. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll make that happen the next time we do this. Your, your, your TikToks must be sent directly to him <laughs> with this clip of me going, okay, jackass. <laughs> so Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies, otherwise known as I can see Russia from my house.com. That <laughs> makes more sense. <laughs> there is some really fun stuff in this, but there are other parts that try too hard. That is a that is such a profoundly unhelpful review. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of the of the essay. Hey, that, that... Is the is the water warm or is it cold? Well, it started warm and then it got cold. It is so definitely I to... wet. I, I, it reminds me of the essays that you used to write as a kid. What I, I went and pet a horsey on vacation. The horsey was was nice. It also sweat. I, I rode the horsey. The end. that's not a helpful review and it's the horsey smelled bad (laughs) i wish i wish i could like put ronnie adams on on rotten tomatoes because that would be the that would be the quote that i pulled the horsey smelled scream 2020 2022 the horsey smelled bad (laughs) uh movie was good so the movie was good. Uh, you know what? I now hope someone on Rotten Tomatoes is willing to do performance art. <laughs> because I need this. Like, I need someone to take crappy essays written by, you know, eighth graders. Go or down. younger. Younger. Uh, like, I, hang on. I say eighth graders because they're the ones that you say, give me a thousand words. So they repeat themselves. They get to 600 and they just repeat themselves for another 400. 
Jonathan... I, I, need, I need somebody to do that and then tag on and the movie was. Jonathan W. Hickman of the Noonan Times Herald. An exploitative, vacant movie grasping fruitlessly to find the creative balance of scares and laughs. Yeah, no. Use some big Hold words. Th- this is not an exploitative film in the sense that in the sense that I think he means exploitation films, because I've seen plenty of those. This is not really an exploitative film unless you mean it's trying to capitalize on nostalgia, in which case that's all Hollywood has done for the last two and a half years. Right. We're, we're going to end with this one just because I, I like her and I like doing this bit. Uh, the the future ex Mrs. Robert Winfrey, Tanya Lamb of Lola Lamb Chops. Hasn't she changed her name at least twice since we've been doing this? At least. Ghostface has been scaring me for 25 years in good fun, and Scream is no exception. Perhaps the least kid friendly. Perhaps the least kid-friendly Scream movie in the franchise. I was not aware that this was family entertainment, but according to Lola Lamb Chops, I was doing the right thing in showing these to my kids. So, yeah. Hang on. Serious question. Did you show these to your kids? Uh, The first two, yes. Um, This last one, I'm not showing them. This will be one where if they're going to watch it, they're going to watch it at home with me in the room. I did not feel comfortable so that you can cover the their eyes. Taking well, you know, like my son still has a habit of like if, if unless the movie is utterly engaging, like to the very core, still kind of get up and will run around the room a little bit and throw himself over the couch or whatever. And my daughter would be off and on her phone. Um, I take him to a th- I take him to the theater unless my daughter falls asleep. They are watching the film and every frame of it, and I don't need them to be watching every frame of Scream Five. You know, we watch Scream One and Scream Two. And they, you know, they were able to handle it just fine, but they all they weren't all the way paying attention to every last frame of the movie. Um, my point being, I thought I, I was okay post the Drew Barrymore murder of the first one. I was actually okay with the rest of the movie uh, for up a until, up until for, you get to the finale. Yeah, you know, there's not there's not a whole lot there that, that you know. Yeah. I mean, like my kids have seen violent movies before. It's fine. The second one. I, I mean, you did, would... you did traumatize them by showing them, you know, I'm not even going to make the joke because I'm not going to reference that movie. You might look it up, and I don't want you to. I showed them Aliens, they and they, they struggled. Of all the, like, the, the scary stuff that's questionable to show kids at their age, they struggled the most with Aliens. And, it, I, and I, I think just, you know, as much as we all love it, you know, think back to when you were seven, eight, nine, you know, how... how Dude. How hard you, it might have been to get through aliens. You, you want to know the fun? Like I laugh at this now, but mm-hmm. um, when I was just a lad, very young, like when I was five to eight, boy. I I watched Indiana Jones and the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom for the first time. Mm-hmm. So my dad, thinking this was funny, <laughs> did the Ali Ma heart yeah. thing. Yeah, freaked me out as sure. a kid. Got, the, every, first of all, every adult male has done that to every child in their life at some point. Again, I laugh at the, that movie. I laugh at this now because mm-hmm. it amuses me to no end. Yeah. And should I ever have a son, I will absolutely do that to him at that age. That is a dis- well. That is a discussion you will have to have with the future ex Mrs. Winfrey, Lola Lamb Chops, and then you guys can decide oh, come on. that you did that to your son, and you know it. <laughs> I of course I did. Um, all right. 
that's it. That's our review of Scream. Um, so this week on the Rattle Engine Broadcasting Network, I'm going to work through these really quick because I, I got to get going here. Uh, last night we reviewed Abracadaver by Lordy. Go. We also wrapped up a whole bunch of Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven stuff. That's all re-airs from previous years. That's in the archives yet again. Tomorrow we have a re-airing of Ozark Season 1 to coincide with the release of Ozark Season 4, Part 1. And then uh, the Superblog team-up is the 20th of January. We're celebrating the life and time of in the works of George Perez. So to do that here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, myself, Evan Bevins, and Jesse Starcher. Um, oh, and Al Sedano. Oops. Uh, we will be just we will be discussing Logan's run, comparing the seven uh issues that five out of the seven issues that he illustrated, um, and comparing it to the movie that came out in the 70s. Thursday, we have a re-airing of Ozark season two. Uh, the Superblog team up will be uh, for source material will be the brave and the bold and that'll be with chris armstrong and then in the evening time it'll be myself again um less hostile because it'll be at the right time and ronnie will remember where he's supposed to be it'll be discussing hawkeye at <laughs> with al sedano once once again <laughs> This I, I, I don't know why I resisted video so long. My my asinine <laughs> behavior and being able to look at the reactions of people is fantastic. Yep. <laughs> I, I, expect, I expect you all to devote a lot of time to explaining how uh, Kingpin is Echo's father. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe you. So yeah, it'll be spoilers. It'll be my well, that, Oh no, I spoiled the comic books. Whatever will I do? Ronnie show- Adams, Al Sedano, oh, and I will be reviewing Hawkeye. And then Friday, we have an extra recording for you first. Um, let me announce that Whitney Seibold of the Critically Acclaimed podcast has agreed to come back on the show. He has been talking nonstop about this movie with Nicolas Cage called Mandy. Like when we brought oh, up. Oh, no, no, no. Why? Are you going to watch Mandy, Mark? I am going to watch Mandy. He won't oh, talk about you. it. You, my friend. <laughs> oh, I'm not your sweet summer child for this one. Just your friend. <laughs> look, look, if you were to watch Hereditary, I'd say, my sweet summer child, you don't know what it's like to watch someone garroted and decapitated with piano wire more than once. Because mm-hmm. that happens in Hereditary, which is a great horror movie. If you think that's crazy, what I just described. You are not like that is that is nothing compared to the utter insanity that is Mandy. Okay, well that movie is is it is batshit insane. (laughs) Okay, well he's talked about it nonstop, and when when I had him on for the triple feature of our hoofcore movies, (laughs) you could have called it. You should have called it Happy Times at the El Furry, (laughs) Lamb, Wolf, and Pig. Um, he brought up Mandy then, he brought it up with uh, on his own podcast, he's talked about it endlessly, and I'm like, I need to bring this guy on so that he can get this monkey off of his back. So, we're gonna talk Mandy. Um, it's, I'm labeled it an on trial, I can't imagine we're gonna be debating the merits of this movie, I think we're just gonna discuss it. And then in the evening time, something much more fun, much more my speed, myself, Jason Teasley, the protocol son, and... There's a sword fight with sauce, I believe. <laughs> Uh, we'll be discussing Anna Kendrick palling around with a sex <laughs> doll uh, called Dummy, which was a show that was on Quibi. It's now on the Roku channel. And then Saturday, um, we will have a re-airing of our season one discussion of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Um, plus, 
Daniel Lasby and I will be doing our first alternative commentary of the year. We will be doing the main card of UFC 270, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gon for the uh, UFC Heavyweight Championship. So that's what's going on with me. Uh, if you enjoyed our discussion of Scream, like I said, check out the re-airings of our two-part Long Road to Ruin on the previous four movies. If you like the show in general and you want to hear more of it, we have a review of the 355 that we did last week. Uh, Bing the Ricardos and Don't Look Up the week before and The Matrix Resurrections the week before that. And if you like Ronnie Adams, and who doesn't, he and I reviewed The King's Man. You so don't. Check, <laughs> check him out on that show. Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy Podcast. Tell him what you, where, to, where you are and what you do. Screaming Boy Podcast is not what I do right now. <laughs> and ha- haven't, for, the, haven't, for those of you not in on the joke, he hasn't for many years. Like a couple of years now, yeah. Uh, well, more than that, yeah. So, anyway, I actually have a, a Twitch channel which I'm streaming this on. That's uh, one of the most, you know, not one of the most wise decisions in my life. Um, <laughs> but it's called Misfits and Miscreants. On Misfits and Miscreants, uh, I do stream um, a live, uh, a live play, an actual play, D and D game, D and D stream. Uh, where I have um, seven friends of mine, and I am their DM, and I'm taking through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Um, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we have, we, yeah, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. There's uh, a scroll in that. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And if you've know, if you've read the module or played through it, you don't. I don't have to say any more than that. Yeah. yeah. I also placed a, a a deck of cards in there for him too. Oh, you. Uh, yeah, I did. You bad man. Yeah, I know. Uh, they found it at level three. Uh, oh, <laughs> yep. So with that's that, gonna go, that's going to go badly. You it went bad. It's, to already, watch that. it's already gone badly, but um, it's called a deck of many things. Um, they are now actively taking it to a wizard friend of theirs for safekeeping because things have gone poorly. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs and it's going to be, uh, uh, we got a lot more stuff coming up uh, with it. Friday night, last Friday night, and this coming Friday night, I have streamed our commander, a little bit EDH, or uh, better known as Commander from Magic the Gathering. Um, we sat around, played, talked, and it was a, it was really a good time. Uh, so we'll be doing that mostly on Friday nights. And then uh, I've got a couple more games that I'm going to start uh, uh, airing. Um, some one-shots of, I just picked up the Fallout TTRPG book. Um, I'll have the Alien tabletop role-playing game. A few things like that. So I want to get more systems out there and see what we've got. Um, so we got a lot of tabletop content coming up your way. And magic, like I said, Magic Gathering, D&D, other role-playing games. And with that, uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And yeah, we even have a, a Twitter, which I don't use because I think Twitter is the sewer of the internet. Um, if only. But, yeah. If so. only. If Twitter but, uh, was as, wor- as bad as it got, we would all be much happier. That's true. But uh, uh, everything like Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is just misfits and miscreants. Back to you, Mark. <laughs> as he returns. As he returns. Go ahead, Robert. Do your plugs. Let's get out of here. All right. I cover professional wrestling three nights a week. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW's 
lawsuit against WWE on Thursdays. No, not their lawsuit. I'm not covering that. They are suing WWE for the record, but okay. I'm not covering the lawsuit. Oh, yeah. I'm covering their uh, YouTube show. The, uh, their current miniseries is MLW Azteca. Yeah. Uh, really bad start. Last week was a rebound, so we'll see what this week brings. And WWE SmackDown on Fridays, about which said the less the better as a general rule. Roman Reigns is awesome. Everything else, the man does not have a strong supporting cast. That's all I'm going to say. So I cover all of those over at 411mania.com. If you're interested, go to the Wrestling Zone over there. You can find some of my work. I cover mixed martial arts in the MMA zone of 411mania.com whenever the UFC has something going on. Occasionally bigger events for other promotions, but that's kind of dwindled lately. Uh, So this week, UFC 270. I will be covering that and possibly annoying Mark and Daniel in the live chat as they're doing their thing. (laughs) Can't wait. Uh, Possibly. We'll see. So if you're interested in that, again, there's the Mark mentioned the UFC heavyweight title fight. Uh, one of the better heavyweight title fights in a while, partially because uh, that title that Francis Ngannou winning would amuse me because it would burn down part of the UFC. He might just because he might win and leave. And that would amuse me to no end. Uh, I like for my pick, if you're interested, I like Cyril Gaon. Um He's he's an exceptional fighter. Uh, you also have the flyweight title fight between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. It's the third fight between those two. They fought to withdraw was one of the better fights of 2020. Then Moreno took the title via third round submission last year. Now we're closing that out because the UFC doesn't care about flyweight enough to build a legitimate contender. So poor Askar Askarov, who should be fighting for the belt, (laughs) is stuck fighting some other killer you've never heard of. Although he's probably a killer you've never heard of, given the state of flyweight and the UFC's promotional efforts related to it. If you want to hear me talk more about mixed martial arts, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, Unless it's Twitch, because uh, I don't, uh, I'm, just, I, it's not on Twitch. But anywhere else, you happen to be listening to this, you can find that if you uh, plug that into your podcast search, you can find it. And I would appreciate that. Uh, that show's been growing a little bit over the last couple of months, uh, surprisingly so. I've started getting closer to reliable triple digits, and I am happy uh, about that. So, still trying to grow that thing. So give that a listen if you're so inclined. Um, yeah, Mark and I will be back next week for a fun little review and a discussion of the 2021 box office, which is a giant pile of flaming garbage. <laughs> apart from Spider-Man. <laughs> and James Bond. And F9. Everything else is trash. No, no, F9's trash. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Damn You Hollywood. Like I said we'll be back for the Netflix movie, <laughs> Nick. My random shot at war. the Fast and the Furious franchise. <laughs> um, until the I next time, that. where we where we continue to break Ronnie Adams and everything that gets in our way. <laughs> be well, be safe, and behave. I need it.